and we are on air at Banfor Racing Radio for our Atlanta NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, we've got a big night planned for everybody tonight with lots of information. We're going to start with some short track news, and then we'll preview the ARCA East Series Season Opening Race at Five Flags Speedway with uh, some brief updates also from the ARCA Menards and ARCA West Series. Uh, at the top of the hour, then, we're going to have a clip of the media interview with the NASCAR Cup Series driver Chase Briscoe. He's the driver in the number 14 Haas Racing Ford. And afterwards, we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck Series at Atlanta Motor Speedway. After that, we'll get into the Xfinity and Cup Series preview at Atlanta. And then 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huthman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. And uh, as we get started here, I just want to give a shout-out to one of our fellow Fan for Racing crew members, uh, James Bickford. Happy birthday, James. (laughs) <laughs> yes, indeed. Happy birthday to you, James. Uh, really, really glad to see you celebrating another year around the sun, and uh, hope it's been a good one for you. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get started with our short track racing news here. Uh, there's a lot going on in the short track racing world. Uh, I saw with the uh, ASA Racing uh, I think there were some penalties handed down from the race this past weekend. Did you see that? Well, I know there was a brawl in the tech area. I don't know what penalties that led to. I'm looking here on Race in America. Um, yeah, I didn't about see that. anything I there. Hold, let me see. ASA penalizes Bubble Pollard and Boris Jakovic. It's over at uh, Short Track Racing Scene. Uh, if you want to know more about that, uh, ASA has leveled penalties against Boris Jakovic and Bubba Pollard for actions taken during and after the ASA Stars National Series Sunshine State 200 that took place uh, Sunday night or Saturday night at Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola. As a result of that post-race altercation with race winner Casey Roderick in the technical inspection area. Bubba Pollard lost 29 driver and owner points, uh, those earned during the race. In addition to that, to the forfeiture of his race earnings and a $3,000 fine. He's also been placed on probation for all ASA National Southern Super Series uh, and Midwest Tour CRA sanctioned events for the remainder of the calendar year. Uh, on the other hand, Boris Jakovic also was penalized 15 points that he earned during the race and forfeiture of race earnings of $750 fine and an additional penalty of $145 to replace series equipment. And he's also been placed on probation for all ASA-sanctioned events for the remainder of the calendar year. Apparently, Pollard confronted Roderick during the post-race technical inspection over a decisive incident between them late in the race. He spun off contact from Roderick in the front stretch after the caution had come out for an incident behind him involving Dakota Stroop and Preston Peltier. Several drivers, including Jake Finch and Derek Krause, piled into Pollard and damaged all three cars to the point that they could not continue. Uh, (laughs) 
Roderick was not penalized, according to the race director, Nicholas Rogers, because the contact occurred after the caution. The sanctioning body also says that Pollard would have retained the lead after the spin had he been able to continue. So, uh, on the other hand here, with regard to Djokovic, he crashed due to contact from Billy Ben Meter, and during the ensuing caution, Djokovic searched the back of a safety truck until he found a fire suppressant running down the banking as Van Meter passed under caution and attempted to throw it inside his window. The container bounced off the car and back onto the racing surface. That doesn't sound like a really good idea. Uh, So, yeah, uh, some big penalties there for the ASA race. Wow. Yeah, short track racing uh, season has begun. (laughs) Uh, let me start with this is a little early in the season to be seeing uh, this kind of in, intensity in actions. I, I get it if you're down the line, you're battling for a championship. You know, it might be that after the off season they're a little wound up. But uh, I did see the video of Bubba Pollard, and yeah, he did not go into the tech area to uh, congratulate Casey Rodgers. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it's really kind of sad. Uh, that this happens. I know people's emotions get involved when you're talking about racing, um, but uh, that's one of the learning curves that a lot of the younger drivers have to go through, um, sometimes even the older drivers. I will I will say this. Uh, taking equipment from a safety truck, uh, you can't find anything yeah. else to throw. That you, you have to go searching for something to throw at a car or a driver. Uh, that's a new one by <laughs> me. <laughs> Yeah, that's a new one for sure. Uh, but it sounds like ASA did the right thing in both cases. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what the fallout is. Uh, they've got another race that will be coming up here shortly. So uh, the big race this week is going to be uh, the Rattler 250 for the SRL National. You know, ASA is kind of the East Coast answer to the West Coast SRL. But SRL is also doing national events, including the Rattler 250 that's coming up. Well, as you mentioned that, it's going to be Ty Majeski jumping between the two uh, as he looks to have a busy weekend between Atlanta and then South Alabama. So he's going to try and do both this weekend. Yeah, that's going to be be, uh, pretty cool. Um, There's going to be 35 super late models entered. Uh, this weekend, the most entries since 2015 when 40 competitors appeared. It's the second largest entry in history, according to records. Twelve states and one Canadian province are representative. They're led by Florida with 12, Wisconsin with 5, Georgia with 4, California 3, Alabama 2, Indiana 2, and one each from Idaho, Illinois, Massachusetts, Tennessee, Virginia, Texas, and the Canadian province of Nova Scotia. A total of 16 drivers will be making their debut in this event. That sounds like more than 16 drivers. <laughs> kind of interesting. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, this is our opening weekend, and that's one I would certainly uh, consider heading down to. Uh, been there once there at Montgomery Speedway. Um, should be a good showing, and you got some drivers, again, trying to make their name. I'm trying to add their name to the history of the list of winners that have won it. Yep, uh, it's true. Fourteen drivers have entered both the SRL Rattler and the SA, ASA Stars Tour Sunshine State 200 that took place last week at Five Legs. 
Those drivers include Jeremy Doss, Ty Majeski, Austin Nason, Michael Hindi, Blaine Rocha, Billy Van Meter, uh, Gio Ruggiero, Jake Finch, Hunter Robbins, Bubba Pollard, Timothy Watson, Jet Nolan, Tony Elrod, and Dustin Smith. And then there's some truck series drivers that are going to be doing double duty, as you mentioned. Ty Majeski is uh, one of those drivers. Uh, so uh, it's going to be fun to see uh, a lot of these drivers. Uh, let's see, the Midwest portion of the country will be well represented, in, including Majeski, John DeAngelis Jr., uh, Casey Johnson, Johnny Sauter, Billy Van Meter, Justin Mondek, uh, Austin Nason are all entered. So cannot wait to watch this race. Just to throw in a side note there with Ty Majeski, uh, there's a reason that he's the headlining act on the list. He's a five-time winner of the event and looking to make it four in a row as he's won the last three runnings of the Rattler 250. So he's trying to defend a streak as well. Yes, he is. So um, uh, there'll be a lot to look forward to. If you want to read more, this is available over at Racing. I'm sorry, tr- Short Track Scene. It's an article by uh, Matt Weaver, and it is the event preview for the SRL National Rattler 250. So uh, you'll definitely want to check that out. Real quick, I want to also hit uh, Flow Racing here and give you an idea of what you can look for over there. There's a lot of. Uh, uh, interesting things here. One of the headlines is Kyle Larson's son, Owen, scores his first career win. Uh, so uh, that's, a, that's a cool storyline uh, for, for folks to check out at uh, Flow Racing. There's a video over there. It's about a minute and a half if you want to check that out. That's one of those that leads to the the possibility we might see a Bush and Larson. I don't know that they've run together yet, but the two of them are going to be the the future generation of racing here. Uh, sons <laughs> of sure Cup are. stars right now. He's so tiny. He's only eight years old, uh, and his first ever brick victory came uh, Tuesday night at Millbridge Speedway. So uh, Rob Blount was there. Uh, old friend of Rob Blount, by the way. He used to have a radio show, and uh, they asked me to be a guest there once in a while, and then he'd come on our radio show now and then. So uh, really cool to see Rob Blount riding over at uh, Flow Racing. Well, I can't wait to see what the future holds for these young drivers like that. And we see it, you said, eight years old, um, getting wins already, learning how to win and lose graciously. Yes, indeed. Uh, So you read more about that over at Flow Racing. Uh, let's see what other news there is. You see anything else you want to make sure we mention here? I'm pulling up the, uh, oh, from, uh, Flow Racing. I, I think we missed one here. I wanted to mention real quick from, uh, it was on Racing America, but the finalists for the Go 2023 Kowicki Deve- Driver Development Program. Um, ah, very cool. Yeah, I was trying to scroll down where it gives the whole list here. Uh, yeah, Jackson the ones Boone that have been... Franklin. Go ahead. Okay, I found, uh, found it. Jackson Boone from uh, Franklin, Tennessee, just to run through the names. We'll cover these more as the season goes, but Jacob Bors from Elon, North Carolina. Kyle Campbell from Canover, North Carolina. Max Cookson from Palmyra, Maine. Derek Glitchaki from Dartmouth, Massachusetts. <laughs> Casey Hines from Arvada, Colorado. 
Kyle If from Grantsville, Utah. Caden uh, Cavapo from Mooresville, North Carolina. Another one uh, you're going to know the name. Kiana Mitchell from Loomis, California. Boston Oliver from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Hayden Plybon from Spokane, Washington. Evan Schottko, we've heard that name before, from Coopersville, Michigan. Riley Stenham from Utica, Wisconsin. LaVon Van Der Geerst from Merrill, Wisconsin. Hunter Wright from Gladville, Tennessee. So, again, spread out, you said, of across the country. I like to see that. Yeah, some of the drivers that have come from this uh, Alan Kowicki Driver uh, Development Program include drivers like Ty Majeski. So uh, this is a really cool program, uh, and I'm trying to think. There's another driver from the West that that, that um, we've been talking to on this show, and I can't think of his name right now, but he's from the driver uh, Kuwaki Driver Development Program as well. Trying to see if yeah, I... such a great program that we see, and especially honoring Alan Kowicki, um having come out yeah. of the Midwest up there. Um, to see that and, and then get this recognition and opportunity for development. Yes, indeed. It, it really is fun to see them uh, go through this program uh, and do a, a really good job um, of, uh, you know, developing as a young race car driver. And a lot of these drivers look up to a driver like Alan Kowicki, and uh, they do a lot to help young drivers get their racing careers off to a good start. Uh, Ty Majeski, uh, Alex uh, Punty, or Prunty, Cody Haskins, Brett Yackley, Jeremy Doss, Luke Fenhausen, Dylan Zampa is the one that we've had on our show most recently. Uh, but Ty Majeski was on this program as well when he was going through the Kawaki. Uh, driver development program. So uh, really fun to watch these drivers having the great success that they experience. Okay, it will definitely okay. be interesting to watch this group throughout, throughout the year. Yes, it will. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move over to the uh, Arkham Menard series. Now, <clears throat> normally we have a pit box. For whatever reason, we don't have a pit box this week. Uh, so we're going to have to wing it because there's not even an entry list up yet for the ARCA East. Uh, but here's what I can tell you about that race. It is going to take place uh, this uh, Saturday, March the 25th, at Pensacola uh, Fly Flag Speedway. It will be the Pensacola 200. It's a half-mile paved oval. Uh, the race should start about 8 p.m. Eastern time. They'll race 200 laps over 100 miles. And if you don't catch the race live on Flow Racing, you can catch the delayed broadcast on April 2nd on CNBC at 9 a.m. Eastern time. You can also catch live radio coverage over at ARCARacing.com. Uh, that's about all the information we have at ARCA Race, uh, ARCA East race uh for the Arkham Menard series. So uh a little disappointed with that. Sharon, I think I can add add some info to that as to why and it's our own fault. We're a little too excited. March twenty fifth isn't this Saturday. We got another week before that happens. I know we've been waiting for the East Series to start. Yes. We're (laughs) we're, we jumped the gun. I know you and I talked earlier, and we were both thinking it. Yeah, we got another week, so we'll get the pit box and notes coming next week. Uh, we got to wait okay. one more week for that East Series to start. Gosh, 
I am so excited for this race. I got to tell you, it's been it's been really hard waiting this long for the ARCA East season opener for me. I'm so used to it happening at Daytona to wait this long, March 25th. You're right. I jumped the gun. <laughs> no, I was I was in that same boat because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, they don't have an entry list. We don't have no notes, no nothing. I was like, wait, we got another whole week. So, yeah, we're going to have to wait. Uh, next Thursday, we'll talk more about it there at Five Flags Speedway. Oh, you are absolutely right. I I uh, totally jumped the gun on this one, but uh, it's uh, because I'm so anxious for this Arca East race to get started. Uh, there are some great articles over here, and if you want to uh, break down the news by series, they allow you to do that over at ArcaRacing.com. And some of the articles that relate directly to the Arca East, uh, the Pinnacle Racing Group and Luke Fenhouse are going to contend for that Arca East Menard Series um, title. Uh, also, we've talked to, uh, we may have, we're hoping to have Tyler Reif on the show this coming Monday. He was supposed to be on last Monday and couldn't make it at the last minute. So Sal was going to try to reschedule him for this coming Monday. He was the winner of that uh, ARCA Menard Series and West Series uh, uh, race that took place out at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, there's also an article here about Sean Hingarani. He's been on our show. You can read about him. He's going to be uh, racing with uh, Venturini Motorsports, uh, Motorsports this year. So lots of great stories here uh, with regard to the ARCA drivers. Well, and with the the two uh, Arkham, main Arkham and Ard Series races we've seen and now the Arca West, you know, that's why we're so excited for the East Series to get started because we've had <laughs> some great stories coming out of these so far already. Um, we also got William Salwich uh, putting on a show there with Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, trying to think it's like his second or third start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been doing really good uh at that series. Uh, also, I wanted to mention that D.L. Wilson has had some medical things going on, but he's going to return to fast track, uh, and he's set to compete for the Arkham and Art Series East. So that's uh, kind of a, a good information, too. He's a longtime Arkham and Art Series driver, so uh, he, he's going to drive uh, – the number 12 for Fast Track Racing, Andy Hillenberg's team. And uh, it sounds like he's going to be piloting that 12 for the complete eight races of the Arkham Menard Series East, as well as the Arkham Menard Series and Arkham Menard Series West combination event uh, that took place uh, last uh, on the 10th earlier this month. So um, it's good to see D.L. Wilson back in, behind the wheel. <laughs> Excuse me, most certainly is and look forward to it. One of the other things, and I don't think we've hit on this um, over the past couple of weeks. I know we talked about the Sioux Chief Showdown going away, but the ARCA's Four Crown uh, CGS yeah, we... Imaging returning as the entitlement sponsor, so that Four Crown Championship is still in play. Yes, yes, we did talk about that uh, a while back, but that is really good. It, it involves different kinds of tracks, uh, and it's going to start uh, the April 22nd race at Talladega Super Speedway will be the first race of that series. 
then June 24th at Elko Speedway, July 7th at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, and, of course, August 20th at the Illinois State Fairgrounds. So you got a super speedway, you got a short track, you got a road course track, and you've got the dirt track at Illinois State Fairgrounds. So uh, all different kinds of tracks that are involved in that four-crown series. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to uh, watching what happens specifically at those four racetracks this season. It does make it interesting, as you said. It, it says it's the longest track on the schedule, along with the shortest, and then a road course and a dirt, uh, dirt track. I mean, you talk about that, that's where you evaluate a well-rounded driver, the one that can do it on all types of tracks. So I think that's a really cool um, championship they have up there with the CGS Imaging Four Crown, another one that we've always really liked here within the Arkham Menard series. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, it dates back to 1984 uh, when NASCAR Hall of Famer David at Davy Allison actually won that inaugural title. Since then, there's been 26 other drivers that have earned the Four Crown Championship. They include uh, series champions Lee Raymond, Tracy Leslie, Bob Keselowski, Bobby Bowser, Bill Venturini, Steve, Tim Steele, Frank Kimmel, Bill Baird, Chris Busher, Grant Infinger, Chase Briscoe, Austin Terrio, Brett Holmes, and Ty Gibbs. Uh, a few of those drivers are friends here of Fan uh, for Racing. Uh, and, in fact, we've got the media interview, a clip of that media interview with uh, Chase Briscoe later on here tonight at the top of the hour. So uh, really cool uh, to see who's going to uh, win that Four Crown Championship this year. Well, and just listening to that list, and there were some on there. I love it when we get to do some of these history portions. Um, Tim Steele, I, I mean, back in the day, he was one of those that, him and I believe Bobby Gerhardt, I mean, when you talked about the Arkham and Art series, you had Frank Kimmel, Bobby Gerhardt, and Tim Steele. I mean, those were the Arkham and Art series drivers. Uh, I, I know Tim Steele <laughs> made, I think, some Xfinity series starts, but he truly was Arkham and Art series at its heart. Yes, and Frank Kimmel, I think, is the winningest driver in uh, in the Arkham Menard series. Over 80 wins. I believe. Yeah, I believe so. And he is, like I said, at the top of the list of, you know, at the time when I started watching, I just thought he owned the series because, yeah, he absolutely <laughs> dominated it. Yeah, yeah. We've been fortunate to have some great conversations with Frank Kimmel on this show as well. And uh, he is such a gentleman and uh, really an interesting guy to talk with. So uh, if you ever get a chance to hear him talk or listen to him, take advantage of that opportunity, or race, for that matter. Yeah, I know he doesn't do a whole lot of racing anymore. I don't know if he's got any starts scheduled for this year. He's doing some uh, help, and I'm trying to think what team. Is he with Venturini? He's been working with some different teams. teams. Yeah, he was working with Ben Torini. I'm not sure if he's still doing that or not. Okay, yeah, I know he has been with different drivers, as you said, and different teams throughout the Arkham Nard series. And, and there's, that tells you, whether he's done driving or not, he is still giving back to that series and helping that brand. That's how much his heart is into the Arkham Nard series. Absolutely. Now, I want to make sure that we also tell you, we told you when that next race is for the uh, – for the Arkham and Art Series East. Can't get here fast enough for us since we uh, jumped the gun here tonight. But 
we do have uh, the dates for the next races for uh, both the Arca Menard Series and the Arca West as well. Uh, the next one up after that March 25th race is on April 1st, the West Coast Stock Car Motorsports Hall of Fame 150 for the Arkham West at Irwindale Speedway, uh, one of our favorite tracks here at Fan for Racing. And uh, that will be uh, broadcast live at Flow Racing. So uh, if you're out in California, get out there to Irwindale Speedway for that April 1st event. It's going to be a fun race, as it always is, out at Irwindale Speedway. Certainly, uh, have to. I'll have to watch it via one of the media platforms. Uh, I don't know that I've made it out to California very often, um, but uh, I certainly want to catch up on it as they get in their second race of the season. Yes, indeed. And then the third race for the uh, Arkham Menard Series is the General Tire 200. That will take place April 22nd. 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Talladega Super Speedway. That one will be televised live on Fox Sports 1. So uh, definitely mark your calendars for that race because uh, they had their race out at Daytona. That gave us a preview of what to expect on a Super Speedway. Uh, but Greg Van Oltz, who won that Daytona race, is hoping to have another strong run on a Super Speedway at Talladega this uh April 22nd. Well, and I'm not sure why their uh, point standings here as uh, the link to it is kind of messed up, but I do know that Greg Van Alst has maintained the points lead coming out of Phoenix there. Uh, yeah, I see it. Um, Frankie Munoz is not able to close, take over the top spot, but Greg Van Alst, if he can do that super speedway uh, roll after coming off Daytona, already at the top of the points they're going into that third race yeah there's only a few drivers that have raced two races uh for the season uh but greg ray van Alst is certainly one of those drivers so that helped him keep that top spot uh behind him by just two points is connor mosack he only has the one race um so, yeah, it's it's a little bit confusing because not all of these drivers have raced uh, both races yet. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, things will kind of sort themselves out here as we get deeper into the season, and uh, we will keep you updated on that. But Greg Van Alt certainly does uh, maintain that series points lead. Well, and headed to another super speedway, we know what kind of car he's got for the super speedway racing. Uh, I know Talladega, Daytona, they consider a wild card, and anything can happen. But he showed he can happen on the it can happen on the good side as well. So we'll see how he does there at Talladega. Yeah, the two winners uh, from the Arkham and Art Series in the Arca West. Uh, there is an article about Greg Van Alts and Tyler Reif are early pleasant surprises to start the season. So you can read more about that uh, over at uh, ArcaRacing.com as well. Uh, it's just really cool to see uh, so many of the articles that they put together over here about uh, both of these series and both of these winners. Those are the two big winners so far in the season. And that's what we look for. Uh, I know we talked about some of the ones like Frank Kimmel that used to dominate, um, but to see some of these guys, especially like Greg Van Hals, uh certainly not a new up-and-comer, but hanging in there and getting that victory uh, 
life-defining moment. I, I can only imagine, uh, you know, we talked to him here on the show, how thrilled he is, but he's not done because he is going after the full season and championship. Yes, he is. So we'll, we'll definitely keep tabs on that. Okay, also I want to uh, kind of set up our, our – uh, media clip that's coming up here. Uh, Chase Briscoe had an interview with the media earlier, and uh, it's it's kind of fitting because he's had a rough start to the season. The first two races, uh, well, the first three races were not kind to Chase Briscoe, but uh, this last week out at Phoenix Raceway, he came home with a uh, seventh-place finish, so that was fantastic. Uh, that him let me just double check here i want to say 21st in the point standings uh and and uh, that's after the adjustment because of um everything that happened with uh hendrick motorsports but yeah he's 21st in the series point standings he's the driver of the number 14 uh for stuart hawes racing and the media had a chance to ask him a few questions this week about his season and about some of the things that are going on in NASCAR right now. So I'm going to go ahead and play about eight minutes or so of that interview. It's actually a 19-minute interview, but we're only going to play about eight minutes of it. And then, Jay, you and I will give our thoughts afterward, okay? Copy that. So, um, yeah, thank you uh, all for hopping on here today. Um, with us, we have Chase Briscoe, driver of the number 14, the Hendra Tractors Ford Mustang. Um, so, Chase, get us up to speed. Um, you're coming off uh, your first top 10 um, of the season at Phoenix, and uh, now the series is headed eastbound to Atlanta. Sort of give us the scoop, and uh, I think you were on a simulator earlier this morning. Yeah, I've been uh, on the simulator since 8, so just got off about a minute ago. So, yeah, spent a lot of time today uh, running Coda, running Atlanta, uh, posting Phoenix. So uh, it was a busy and productive day from that side of things. But, yeah, excited to truthfully be back on the East Coast, uh, a little bit easier travel. Um, but, yeah, you know, for us it was nice to kind of finally have just a good, solid overall run this past weekend, um, being able to hopefully build on that, continue to, to build that momentum, uh, going into the, the rest of the regular season, obviously, uh, you know, our point situation was, was like 34th going into Phoenix. Now I think we're 21st or something like that. So need to just have more and more of those days and uh, continue to try to climb up and, and looking forward to this week in Atlanta. I thought our cars there last year drove relatively pretty good in the pack. So hopefully, uh, you know, the Ford's really good at Daytona, and hopefully we can kind of carry that over to Atlanta. Awesome, awesome. So if you have any questions, just raise your hand. Uh, we'll kick it off with uh... – Nathan. Thank you. Thanks for the time here, Chase. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. You know, just to start, you know, the top ten on, on Sunday, like you mentioned, is that a little bit of a sign of relief? And how do you think you can build off of that here in these next couple of weeks? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, a sign of relief. You know, we, we, we knew that we were going to be in a good situation. I felt like going into into Phoenix, that's one of our probably better racetracks at the company. Um, and so we knew that if we were going to turn our season around, that was going to be a great opportunity to do it. Uh, I think we've all been surprised by kind of the speed and, and things that we've kind of struggled with this year. So it was nice to just have an overall a clean day, a day where I think the whole day we went forward, we never went backwards. Um, just had a really good car, uh, truthfully, and, and that was something that we haven't been able to say really all year long. So uh, it was good to, to kind of get that 
uh, you know, a couple weeks late, but glad that we finally were able to, to get that done and, and just have, like I said, a good overall solid day. So, yeah, hopefully we can, like I said, build on that. And uh, I think as a team, our confidence is still high, things like that. So just uh, need to continue to build on our results and, uh, you know, no better place to do it than this weekend at Atlanta. And with that new short track package debuted at Phoenix, just, uh, what did you think about that? How do you think it affected the racing? And then, you know, once it gets to Richmond and Martinsville here in these next few weeks, how do you think it'll uh, change things there as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably biased uh, as far as the old package. You know, I thought our stuff was extremely good there. But, you know, honestly, I would I would still vote to go to the lower downforce. You know, I, I felt like as a race car driver, we made more of a difference. Um, we were definitely slipping and sliding around a lot more. The cars were a lot harder to drive. You know, it was still a challenge to pass to a certain extent. Um, but I, I feel like that Phoenix just in general is a hard racetrack to pass at. Um, so I, I'm definitely excited to see it, you know, at a place like Richmond at a road course. Um, I think it's definitely the right direction. You know, I think that we could lose even more downforce. I think we could still add a lot more power, and it would just continue to get better and better. But I do think it's a good baseline. Um, it, you know, dirty air is always going to be a problem no matter what we do. Uh, but anything we can do to make it, you know, even 5% better, 10% better is going to be better for racing. And I felt like this past week it was a little bit easier to pass. It's still difficult, uh, but it's going to be difficult when you have that many guys that are really good and that many good race cars. You know, when there's not a ton of, of difference in the field, you know, from a lap time standpoint, it's going to be hard to pass. And that's, you know, what you get when you have the parity that we do now where, you know, a lot of different guys can win on any given weekend. It makes it where a lot of guys are going to be fast. And when you have a lot of guys that are close on lap time-wise, it makes it hard to pass. So I thought it was an improvement uh, from a driving standpoint. Like I said, it was a lot harder to drive. And I think all the drivers wanted to be harder to drive. But I also thought it was easier to pass, as difficult as it still was. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Let's uh, go to Kelly Crandall. Thank you. Hey, Chase, um, hey. you mentioned there about the top ten at Phoenix. Obviously, that was a really good day for Stuart Haas Racing. Kevin was really strong. You mentioned that. In general, though, can you evaluate where are the Fords right now? Because it seems like maybe you guys are, are just a step step behind. Joey Logano was saying at Vegas it felt like everybody was a little bit behind. Those were obviously high-speed racetracks. So have you thought much outside of Stuart Haas Racing and just where the Fords are compared to Chevy and Toyota right now? Yeah, I would say, you know, truthfully, my focus has been more on just our team. Um, you know, I, I think collectively, you know, on the mile and a half, at least, there is some speed that still needs to be found. But for us on the two, you know, intermediate-style racetracks, we've been so off even the top fours that that's truthfully been our main focus. And, and once we get to be that top three, you know, four team, uh, you know, then we're focused on, you know, our gap to maybe the other manufacturers. But for right now, at least on the 14 car, we're just trying to, to get closer to the top forwards, and until we do that, I don't even think we need to worry about the other manufacturers. And I wanted to ask, going into Atlanta this weekend, NASCAR supposed to reevaluate, I guess after this weekend, the larger restart zone. I know there was the incident at Fontana everybody was talking about. Overall, in these four races so far, have you noticed anything with that larger restart zone? Will you have any feedback for NASCAR if asked? Yeah, I think, you know, I was all for it going into it. Um you know, I haven't had the opportunity this year to, to be in the lead uh, or even on the front row for that sake to really kind of see how much different it is. I know that farther back in the pack, I, I do feel like we probably have a little bit more stack-ups. You know, before, the zone was relatively small, um, and pretty much everybody knew 
in a you know a five to ten car length window where guys were going to go. So you would just lag back and you'd have a big run. Where now with the zone much larger, we all still try to anticipate it. And when that front guy doesn't go, you know that's when the the big stack up uh, you know kind of starts. So um, I would be very curious to see what it's like you know starting on the front row. I think as the leader, you definitely have more of an advantage the bigger that zone is because you know there's just more options for you to go. So. I don't know. I'm kind of torn on it. You know, in the back, it probably is a little bit worse just from a stack-up standpoint. But I do think up front, it probably gives the leader a little bit more of an advantage. And I feel like if you are the leader, you deserve to have an advantage. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Let's kick it to Bob Pockeris. Yeah, Chase, I'm curious. Uh, you're actually up to 21st in points, I think, after <laughs> – after the penalties announced today. Solid points day for the 14 group. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, you said you almost felt like you were in a must-win situation. So I'm curious if you feel that way now or, you know, do you expect all those guys who kind of fell behind you in points today uh, to win races and therefore, you know, it's going to still be a little bit of a slog for you to get in a position where potentially you can make a playoff on points? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I, I still think it's a must-win. I just think that, you know, there's a possibility that we have 16 winners or right at it again. You know, so last year, you know, having 15 winners, I think there's a uh, definitely an opportunity for that to present itself again. So from that side of it, I still think it's a must win. I don't think you want to rely on points, especially if, if even if there's, you know, say 10 winners, you know, that's six guys that aren't in on points. You need to be right around 16th in points to even a little higher than that sometimes to, to lock yourself in. So I, that's my biggest thing for being in a must win. Uh, it's nice being 21st in points versus, you know, 34th. It, that definitely makes you breathe a little bit easier. But at the same time, I just think you're going to still have to win, um, obviously to guarantee yourself a spot. But, I mean, those guys had such a big points gap on us before. I don't, I don't know what it was. But even with a 100-point penalty, you know, I'm sure they're not too far behind us. So, uh, yeah, I mean, solid points safe for the 14 to move up uh, a couple spots on a Wednesday. But uh, overall, we definitely need to be better and, you know, if we could have just got a better start to our year, if we do like we did at Phoenix last week, you know, consistently week in and week out, then, you know, you don't have to really worry about it as much. Um, but, yeah, I still think you're going to have to win just to obviously solidify yourself in the playoffs. All right. Uh, your thoughts about Chase Frisco's comments, uh, Jay? Well, um, excuse me, there were a couple of things there. I just appreciate his honesty. Uh, the first one yeah. talked about the uh, – the season, you know, he's not worried about other manufacturers. If we're not the fastest Ford, as he put it, it doesn't matter. So they're focused on their team, uh, his his number 14 specifically, then the organization. Then if they're up there competing weekly and at the top of their game, then they can look at, hey, are we even close to another manufacturer? Is there something there? But they know they're not where they need to be within their organization, so how can they compare? Same thing when it went to the restart zone, he said, I haven't had the chance to be up front, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was good. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate that. He was very clear about it. He'd be like, I haven't had that opportunity yet this year. And they did have a rough start to the season, as he mentioned. Um, the one thing I think of when we talk about that, of that leader having an advantage, um, I don't know if any asphalt tracks do it. I know the dirt does. The leader starts in a row by themselves. NASCAR doesn't do that, but I think by increasing that, like he said, the, the leader earned that spot. They should have the advantage and control of the race. By having that longer zone does control that. 
And the timing in the back, the further back it goes, is where you're going to see the issues because they're so used to it. I still think it's just a matter of they got to learn to wait. They can't time it like they used to when it was short. They knew when they had to go so they could time it. And they can't do that no more because there's more of a gap. So I think it's just a matter of everybody learning to not over-anticipate, not expect a race this week when it's next week, you know, jump the gun a little bit. It's a little bit of a learning curve, to say the least. Okay. Um, yeah, I th- I really like Chase Briscoe. I think uh, uh, he's a solid race car driver. I don't think he's forgotten how to race. It's They're going through a transition period with this new car uh, and some changes uh, that have taken place with the new car with the short track package. Uh, and, and I like what he said about, you know, it's easier to drive, but it's still hard. <laughs> As hard as it is, it's still easier, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, passing is, is hard to do, and he said that's always going to be an issue uh, just because of the, the airflow and uh, the dirty air. So <clears throat> he, he's being honest with uh, folks when he talks about that. Uh, he'd like to see him maybe go a little bit further, it sounds like, but uh, he, he's giving it to you straight there. And... Uh, uh, I, I really respect that. Uh, also, uh, with regard to the restart zone, you brought that up. Uh, again, he's being real honest. He hasn't had a chance to be up front to see what it's like up there, but but there is definitely that accordion effect, if you will, uh, taking place at the back of the field, and uh, <clears throat> uh, that's a learning curve. Again, you brought that up. Uh, it, it is a learning curve. Uh, and I think once these guys get through that learning curve of the longer restart zone and how uh, the drivers are going to respond to that longer restart, uh, I think that's that's all that that is. I, I have to agree with you, Jay, on that point. It's a learning curve that these guys are going through. And rather than to have the knee-jerk reaction to it, I'm, I hope NASCAR gives them the chance to go through that learning curve and let them kind of settle in uh, with that longer restart zone and with this new package. Uh, it, it, it is a process, and it's always a process with NASCAR. The, the last thing here as we come up to uh, getting ready to move on to our previews of the three races that he talked about, though, is, the competition, uh, both with the car itself, how close the competition is makes it difficult to yes. pass, but also three, four races in, and he's thinking it's must win. When he initially said that, I was like, wow, how can you be thinking that this early? But he's aware we almost had 16 race winners last year, and it's a possibility again. That tells you he knows how tough the competition is and that they're already looking just to get in the playoffs. You have to win because you might not make it yep. if you don't. And and that's a result of the parity of all these cars. So it is going to be interesting to see uh, how this plays out. We've got uh, one uh, repeat winner this year with William Byron, uh, but uh, there is a chance, I believe there is a chance, that we will see 16 different race winners this year or close to it. It might not be 16, but it's going to be close to it. And... um, uh, it's going to be fun to watch uh, throughout the entire season. But with that, we'll go ahead and get into our next segment here, which is uh, the preview of the NASCAR 
Craftsman Truck Series uh, race out at Atlanta Motor Speedway. They're going to be racing that Freight 208 at Saturday, March the 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The pre-race coverage will be on Fox Sports 1 starting at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can watch radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they're going to race a distance of 207.9 miles over 135 laps. The first two stages are 30 laps apiece. Well, stage one ends on lap 30, stage two on lap 60. That final stage is going to be 115 laps, if I'm reading this right, and uh, that will end on lap on the last lap, which is lap 135. So what do we have for news here in the truck series, Jay? Well, you talked about a multi-time cup winner. He's won some late model races, and he's looking for more. As William Byron's yeah. going to run select races for Kyle Busch Motorsports. The NASCAR Cup Series regular and then the KBM alumni, William Byron, who will be running a three-race schedule behind the wheel of the number 51 Chevrolet in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series for Kyle Busch Motorsports. His three-race stint will start at Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt April 8th, and then Darlington on May 12th, and North, North Wilkesboro Speedway on May 20th. Yep, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, we also have our Sunoki Rookie Class update for the Truck Series, and uh, they have two races marked off, and now they're sitting close in the standings. Right now it's Rev Racing's Nick Sanchez leading the rookies with 31 points. He won the pole in the season opener at Daytona and has posted a best finish at 26 this season. Now he's making his Truck Series debut this weekend at Atlanta. Jake Garcia takes the second spot, just four points behind Sanchez with 27. And he posted his first top ten finish in the Truck Series race at Las Vegas and will now look to make his first start at his home track at Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. So uh, cool for Jake Garcia to be racing at his home track this weekend. Just one point behind Garcia, though, is Raja Karuth. He's uh, 26 points. He posted a 29th place finish in both races this season, and he'll be making his first start also at Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. So uh, it's always fun to watch the rookies and how they progress through the year. The first half is always a little bit tougher, but once they get to the second half of the season, it gets uh, a little bit better for those drivers. Well, and we got another fast start here in the Truck Series as we do in the Cup Series, and that's for the defending series champ, Zane Smith. Now, front row motorsports, Zane Smith made a name for himself last season with his season opening win at Daytona and his victory in the championship race at Phoenix Raceway. Now, Smith made sure to ride that momentum here into 2023, pulled off yet another season opening win at Daytona and a runner-up finish at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So now as the Craftsman, NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series gears up for this weekend's race in Atlanta Motor Speedway, Smith can be sure that his name is on everyone's mind as a possible winner. Although he's only made three starts at the 1.54-mile track, he's posted two top fives and three top tens. And last season, he even managed to work his way up to a fifth-place finish after starting in the 25th spot. Okay, let's talk about Atlanta Motor Speedway's Fabulous Four 
the uh, Truck Series drivers had last weekend off, but fans can be sure to expect some action-packed racing this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Four previous winners at that track include Corey Heim, Grant Infinger, John Hunter Nemechek, and Matt Crafton. Heim is, uh, of course, the most recent winner. He won there last year. He posted the win in his first and only start at Atlanta, and if he goes back-to-back, he'll be the second driver in the Truck Series history to post consecutive wins at Atlanta after only Kyle Busch, who did it in 2007 and 8. Infinger has seven starts with one win in 2020. He also has three top fives, five top tens. And in the last season's Atlanta race, he led 14 laps and ended up finishing 12th. Nemechek, who's running full-time in the Xfinity Series this series, is going to be piloting the number 17 Toyota for Tricon Garage this weekend. In his five truck series starts at Atlanta, he has one win. That was in 2016. He also has two top fives and two top tens. Crafton, he's the veteran of the series. 21 starts at Atlanta Motor Speedway in the truck series, posting one win in 2015, six top fives, 11 top tens, and he has led a total of 188 laps and has an average start of 12.0 and an average finish of 12.2 at that 1.54-mile track. Well, as the unfortunate one to get the first fantasy pick, I went with Corey Heim looking for back-to-back. But there's a couple others I think definitely are going to show some competition there. Mm-hmm. Now, this Craftsman Truck Series uh, does kick off a doubleheader Saturday at Atlanta. After the action-packed weekend at Las Vegas, the Craftsman Truck Series teams had that week to rest up as they prepare for the Freight 208 at Atlanta Motor Speedway which kick off a doubleheader Saturday, March 18th, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern on FS1 and MRN Radio, NASCAR, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. The Xfinity Series race, the Raptor Kings of Tough 250, that'll be at 5 p.m. Eastern, also on FS1. That one will be on PRN, though, and then Sirius NASCAR Radio. Uh, there's been 21 Craftsman Truck Series races at the 1.54-mile Atlanta Motor Speedway track. It's produced 15 different race winners and 11 different pole winners. Five races have been won from the, full, from the pole at the first starting position, as most recently done by Christopher Bell in 2017. As always, get in the Kyle Busch note here. He's made the most trips to victory lane at six. Also posted the most top fives at nine in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series at Atlanta. But then we got NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr. and Mike Skinner. They're the ones tied for the most poles at the track with three each. While Matt Crafton holds the record for most top tens with 11. Lead lap finishes at 16. And then laps completed at 2,656. I mentioned Tricon Garage's Corey Heim is Atlanta Motor Speedway's most recent winner in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series after snagging the lead from Kyle Busch Motorsports teammate Chandler Smith on, Chandler Smith on that final lap last year. Now, they'll get the jump on the weekend. They'll start with qualifying. That'll happen tomorrow, Friday, March 17th, at 3.05 p.m. Eastern time. And that'll be covered on FS1 as well. Okay. 
So next up, we're going to go ahead and move right on into the Xfinity Series. Uh, the next race for them, as uh, Jay already mentioned, the Raptor King of Tough 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway this Saturday, March 11th, part of the doubleheader, will take place at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, pre-race coverage will start on Fox Sports 1 starting at 4 p.m. Eastern. And again, as indicated earlier, uh, on the radio, PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They will race a distance of 251.02 miles over 163 laps. First two laps are 40 laps apiece. Stage 1 ends on lap 40, stage 2 on lap 80. The last lap will be 83 laps, and that will end on lap 163. Well, and we got a Chastain in the news here, but it's Chad Chastain, as he's going to make his Xfinity Series debut. Chad Chastain is brother of NASCAR Cup Series Ross Chastain. He'll be making his NASCAR Xfinity Series debut this weekend in Atlanta Motor Speedway. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 91 Chevrolet for DGM Racing. Though this will be Chastain's first Xfinity Series start, he's made four starts in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, posting a best finish of 30th at Indianapolis Raceway Park and Homestead, Miami. All right. Okay, let's take a look at the Xfinity Series playoff picture heading into week five for this series. Uh, Austin Hill leads the standings with his two wins, Daytona and Las Vegas, and 195 points. In second place is John Hunter Nemechek, who clinched his spot into the playoffs with his win at Auto Club, and he now sits at 165 points. Justin Algauer at 156 points, and Chandler Smith at 155 points assume the third and fourth place, just one point between them and heading into this weekend's race. So both drivers have posted three top fives, three top tens this season so far. Riley Earps, who sits in the fifth position, is tied with Smith on points at 155. So Sammy Smith's win last weekend at Phoenix Raceway bumped him up to sixth in the standings for 128 points. He's tied with Sam Mayer also at 128. Ten points behind them is Cole Custer at 118. Uh, Four points uh, behind Custer is Josh Berry at 114. And then we go to Daniel Hemrick with 106. Uh, Sheldon Creed, one point behind at 105. Parker Kligerman with 99 points. That rounds out the current playoff outlook in the Xfinity Series. Just outside that cut line is Brett Moffat, who's 12 points back, and Ryan Sieg, who's just 13 points back. They're getting a tough competition. We're already looking at where they are in points. Now, who will be the king of tough? That's a tough question. Obviously, the two favorites this weekend that are the former Atlanta winners and be Justin Algar and Austin Hill. But three drivers in the field that will be sure to give them a run for their money this Saturday are Riley Herbst, Daniel Hemrick, and Justin Haley. Stuart Haas's racing's Riley Herbst has given the Atlanta track a go five times in the Xfinity Series, posted one top five and three top ten. In last year's spring race at Atlanta, he raced his way up to a fourth-place finish after starting in the 24th spot. Colleague Racing's Daniel Hemrick, he's also put up some good stats at Atlanta Motor Speedway, 
In his seven starts, he's posted two top fives and four top tens. And most recently, he worked his way up to a fifth-place finish after starting in the 16th position. And Cup Series regular Justin Haley, he's pulling double duty this weekend. He'll be driving the number 10 college racing Chevrolet in this weekend's Xfinity Series race at Atlanta, a track that has treated him well. In his four Xfinity Series starts, he's posted two top fives and four top tens. His most recent Xfinity Series stint at Atlanta Motor Speedway was in 2021, where he finished fourth. Okay. So with the uh, end of the West Coast swing, the Xfinity Series now sets its eyes on Atlanta for the race this Saturday. Uh, there have been 33 Xfinity Series races at Atlanta Motor Speedway that have produced 21 different race winners and 18 different pole winners. Seven races were won from the pole or the first starting position, most recently by Kyle Busch, who did it in 2021. The Cup Series regular Kevin Harvick holds just about every Xfinity Series record at the uh, Georgia track. He has the most wins with five. Top fives, he has 11. Top tens, 13. And lead lap finishes, 13. Laps completed, 3,135. And laps led, 973. Two previous winners are entered into this week's race. That includes uh, junior motorsports Justin Algauer, who won there in 2021, and Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill, who won there in 2022. Algauer snapped his win in 2021, or snagged his win, I'm sorry, in 2021. And in his 14 starts at the track, he's posted one win, three top fives, and nine top tens. Hill made that trip to victory lane in just a second start at Atlanta after finishing runner-up in his first start as a rookie in the Xfinity Series. Now, the series is going to skip practice this weekend. They're heading straight for qualifying on Friday, March 17th, 4.35 p.m. Eastern, and that will be airing on Fox Sports 1. Whoops. When we look at we got a new name on your winner's list, and that is Rookie Sammy Smith. With a near pole win in last November in his first Xfinity, NASCAR Xfinity Series start at Phoenix Raceway, we learned that part-time driver Sammy Smith had the speed at the Arizona one-mile track. And after posting a top-ten finish in that Xfinity Series championship race, where he knew he could handle himself in an Xfinity Series car. Now, in his first full-time season with Joe Gibbs Racing, Smith went back to Phoenix Raceway to post his first win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series last weekend, becoming the youngest Xfinity Series winner at the track at 18 years old. The win now also put Smith in six in the driver's standings with 128 points, 67 points back from Austin Hill, who currently leads the Xfinity Series driver standings. The victory also makes Smith the third different driver this season to already earn his spot in the playoffs, joining Austin Hill, who's got victories at Daytona and Las Vegas, and then John Hunter Nemechek from Fontana. Smith will have a few days to enjoy the spoils of his victory before preparing to make his first start at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Although this will be a series track debut at Atlanta, he does have some experience on the 1.5-mile tracks. 
Uh, last season, he posted a top 10 finish of eighth at Kansas Speedway. Now, if Smith goes back-to-back and takes a checkered flag this weekend, he'll also go down as the youngest winner at Atlanta Motor Speedway, title that's currently held by Ty Gibbs at 19 years, 5 months, and 15 days. So, look, he's trying to knock rookies off the list. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. All right, we'll go ahead now and move on to the NASCAR Cup Series, also racing at Atlanta Motor Speedway. They'll be racing the Am Better Health 400 this Sunday, March 19th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox will carry their pre-race coverage starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Again, radio coverage is on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 400 miles over 260 laps. The first stage is going to be 60 laps, ending on lap 60. Second stage is going to be 100 laps, ending on lap 160. And then the final stage is also 100 laps and will end on lap 260. We have another boatload of information here, Jay, for the Cup Series. Always a lot to get through with this series. Well, and we got some great history information here that I'm going to cover to start with. Uh, Georgia has welcomed NASCAR since the very early years. The state of Georgia has hosted a total of 176 NASCAR Cup Series races among 12 different tracks dating back as far as 1951. Uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway is in Hampton, Georgia, has held uh, 117 Cup races. The first year with a NASCAR race was 1960. Augusta International Speedway in Augusta, Georgia, has held 12 races, the first in 1962. Lakewood Speedway, which is also in the Atlanta area, has hosted 11 races, the first in 1951. Uh, Savannah Speedway in Savannah, Georgia, 10 races, the first in 1962. Middle Georgia Raceway at Macon hosted nine races, the first being in 1966. Central City Speedway, Also one from uh, in the Macon area at seven races, first in 1951. Jeffco Speedway is in Jefferson. They've hosted two races with uh, starting in 1968. Valdosta 75 Speedway in Valdosta has hosted three, first being in 1962. Oglethorpe, man, I haven't heard that name in a while. Oglethorpe Speedway in Savannah has hosted two, uh, the first being in 1954. And then Augusta International Raceway in Augusta had one in 1964. Columbus Speedway with Columbus, Georgia, one in 1951. And Hayloft Speedway in Augusta had one in 1952. So there's a lot of history in the state of Georgia. Okay, you're going to go on there? The first Cup Series race held in the state? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know there was even more down there. Uh, the first, okay, yep, the first Cup Series race held in the state of Georgia was on June 10, 1951, which was one held at Columbus Speedway, which was a half-mile dirt track in Columbus, Georgia. The inaugural event in the state was a 100-mile, 200-lap feature that saw Atlanta, Georgia native Tim Flock win that race. Now, I mentioned Atlanta Motor Speedway has hosted the most now NASCAR Cup Series race of any track in the state of Georgia at 117 total events. Okay, next up we have our matchups uh, for this week the, for the M Better Health 200. 
and uh, we'll go from the bottom up. I'll start with Ryan Blaney versus Daniel Suarez, two drivers that jump-started their 2023 seasons will go head-to-head this weekend. Uh, they include Team Penske's Ryan Blaney and Trackhouse Racing's Daniel Suarez. Both drivers have run well at Atlanta, but Blaney might be the one you want to lean toward this weekend. Suarez has made eight starts uh, at the track, posting one top five, three top tens. He posted his career best finish at Atlanta in his first race in this race just last year. That was a fourth place finish. But Blaney's made nine starts at Atlanta, and he has posted one win in 2021 and four top fives. You want to take the next matchup, Jay? And the next pairing is a batch of great super speedway winners paired up this weekend for fans to bet on, and that's with Richard Childress Racing's Austin Dillon and the 2023 Daytona 500 champion and JTG, JTG Dowdery Racing's driver Ricky Stenhouse Jr. as they go at it. When we look ahead to Atlanta, both Stenhouse, a 21.1, and Dillon, a 21.6, are in a near tie and average finish. Both drivers suffered DNFs in Atlanta races last season, so it'll be interesting to see which one of these two will rebound so better this weekend. All right. Next up, we have Brad Keselowski versus Bubba Wallace, two top-notch speedway drivers, super speedway drivers, facing off this weekend. RFK Racing's Brad Keselowski and 2311 Racing's Bubba Wallace. Both drivers have won super speedway races in the Cup Series, but when it comes to performance at Atlanta, the nod goes to Keselowski. In 16 series starts, he's managed two wins, four top fives, and nine top tens. His average finish in Atlanta is a 15.1. Bubba Wallace, on the other hand, has only made seven starts at Atlanta, but he's posted a career-best finish of 13th in this race last season. His average finish at Atlanta, though, is a 19.5. The next matchup is kind of a changing of the guard as we've got Kevin Harvick versus Tyler Reddick. It's another great matchup with the outgoing veteran Kevin Harvick versus that rising star of Tyler Reddick. Now, Reddick got his first top five of the season last weekend at Phoenix and might have some momentum on his side, but it'll be hard to pick against Harvick at Atlanta. Oh, we've covered that. Harvick leads all active drivers in wins with three, top fives at nine, and top 10s at 17 for the 1.5-mile track. Now, Reddick will have his work cut out for him this week in Atlanta. He's the 23-11 racing driver. He was caught up in incidences in both Atlanta races last season and did not finish. Oops. <laughs> okay, next up we've got uh, Hendrick Motorsports teammates uh, William Byron and Kyle Larsing facing off this weekend at Atlanta. Byron right now is red hot winning the last two races on the 2023 sit schedule, but Larson has been up front in leading most laps this year, posting two top fives. So Byron might have a slight edge this weekend in Atlanta as he's the defending winner of this race, but Larson has the better career average finish at the track. Uh, 14.8 versus Byron's 18.1 at that one-and-a-half-mile track. So it's going to be fun to watch those matchups this weekend. But now let's talk about the veteran. 
Uh, yeah, I don't even know where, where to classify him, but Jimmy Johnson, uh, he's announced two more stops on his 2023 schedule. Uh, this week, the seven-time NASCAR, there's how we'll address him, seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion and legacy motor club owner-driver Jimmy Johnson announced the next two races he'll be competing in this season, starting with the Circuit of the Americas, uh, March 26th, and then the Charlotte Motor Speedway's Coca-Cola 600 on May 28th. Johnson had made his return to the series in the season opening Daytona 500. We started 39th and finished 31st. And Johnson has gone on record saying he plans to run 10 races on a part-time schedule this season for Legacy Motor Club. With Daytona, Coda, and Charlotte already lined up, Johnson plans to announce the rain, remainder of this, this schedule, seven more dates, at a later time. Okay. Well, there's some milestones to watch out for this week, too. Over the next few races, uh, several drivers in the Cup Series will reach milestones if they continue to run full-time in the Series. Starting this weekend, March 19th, Hendrick Motorsports driver Kyle Larson, the 2021 Cup Series champion, is making his 300th career Cup Series start at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And then next week at Circuit of the Americas on March 26th, Colleague Racing's A.J. Allmendinger is making his 400th career Cup Series start. At Richmond Raceway in two weeks, it weekends on April the 2nd, Team Penske's Austin Sendrick is making his 50th NASCAR Cup Series start. And at Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt on April 9th, Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch is making his 650th Cup Series career start. Bush will become the 27th different Cup Series driver all time to make 650 or more starts. Then at Talladega Super Speedway on April 23rd, uh, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick is making his 800th career Cup Series start. Harvick becomes just the 10th different driver in the series all time to make 800 or more starts. So uh, congratulations to all of those drivers on their upcoming milestones, uh, which is pretty impressive. Those are some impressive stats when it comes to that. I mentioned Tyler Reddick kind of turning the season around. He's got good news as him and 2311 Racing partner with Xfinity 10G. They are announcing the two, the Tyler Reddick and the team 2311 Racing, announcing their newest partner, which is Xfinity, and the provider's most powerful Internet connection, Xfinity 10G. The new partnership will debut on track at the Atlanta Motor Speedway this Sunday, March 19th. And in addition to the sponsorship on the car, the partnership will include Xfinity 10G network integration and Xfinity rewards customer fan experience, such as a pit box VIP access, the driver meet-and-greet appearances with Bubba Wallace, Tyler Reddick, and more. Reddick mentioned has made five NASCAR Cup Series starts at Atlanta Motor Speedway, posting a one top-ten finish. Okay. Uh, now, SAG Award-winning actor Jesse Metcalf has been named the co-grand marshal for Atlanta. He's a SAG Award-winning actor and producer, one of the stars of Amazon Prime Video's upcoming film, 
on a wing and a prayer that will start streaming on April 7th. He's going to give the drivers command to start their engines for the Ambetter Health 400. Metcalf will utter those famous words in motorsports as part of his co-grand marshal duties for the Cup Series race at Atlanta this Sunday. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing Jesse Metcalf at the track this weekend. Well, we're going to have another one. Is uh, Parmalee is going to perform the pre-race concert at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Country music stars Parmalee will perform a live pre-race concert for the Am Better Health 400 at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Sunday, March 19th. The platinum-selling band of brothers will play their catalog of chart-topping hits. The North Carolina natives have enjoyed success with hits like their platinum-certified number one single with Blanco Brown, Just The Way, and the follow-up single, Take My Name, from their most recent album, For You. Since debuting on country radio, Parmalee has earned more than $1 billion on-demand streams. Pretty impressive. Uh, and we're just now completing the etc. <laughs> news here. But here's your Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. Uh, grab, uh, Gibbs grabs the third Rookie of the Race award at Phoenix. Through four races this season, Joe Gibbs Racing Ty Gibbs has won three Rookie of the Race awards and holds the rookie standings lead by 19 points over Legacy Motor Club's Noah Gregson. Uh, this season, Gregson put up uh, one top ten finish, a 16th at Auto Club. He also has an average finish of 22.8. Gibbs is making his series track debut this weekend at Atlanta. In four starts this season, uh, Gregson has two top 25 finishes, a 24th at Daytona, a 22nd at Auto Club, and he has an average finish of 26.3. Gregson also has made two series starts at Atlanta, posting an average finish of 35.5. So Gibbs is making his track debut, but uh, Gregson has a couple of races under his belt there. As we move into the main notes, uh, we got one that's kind of been talked about several times already, as Harvick <laughs> was, is one of the few first-time cup winners at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The NASCAR Cup Series has seen six different drivers win their first series career race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Probably the most memorable was Kevin Harvick's 2001 victory after replacing the late Dale Earnhardt at Richard Childress Racing. And the six drivers that have earned their first win at Atlanta are Carl Edwards in 2005, Kevin Harvick I mentioned in 2001, Jerry Nadeau did it in 2000, Jim Herdebeist in 1966, Bob Burdick in 1961, and Bobby Jones in 1960. A Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick has made a total of 34 career starts at Atlanta, posted two poles, three victories, nine top fives, and 16 top tens. All of, our, all of them are series high among the active drivers. Okay, now the last six cup races at Atlanta have produced different winners. Uh, so they include Brad Keselowski in 19, Kevin Harvick in 20, Ryan Blaney in the spring of 21, Kurt Busch in the fall of 21, William Byron the spring of 22, and Chase Elliott in the fall of 22. Now with the series rolling into Atlanta this weekend, fans uh, just might get to see a seventh different winner. 
A total of six Cup Series Atlanta Motor Speedway race winners are active this weekend, led by Kevin Harvick with three, 2001, 18, and 20, followed by Brad Keselowski in 17 and 19, Kyle Busch in 08 and 13, William Byron in 22, Ryan Blaney in 21, and Denny Hamlin in 2012. The most recent winner at Atlanta, well, that's Chase Elliott. He's sidelined this weekend with a broken leg from that snowboarding accident that he had out in Colorado. Now, one driver looking to add their name to the winner's list at Atlanta this weekend is Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain. He finished runner-up in both of those Cup Series races at the track just last season. So we'll see if he can uh, move up one spot this week. All right. When we look at the Atlanta Motor Speedway's new configuration, that's produced some stellar racing last season. When the NASCAR next-gen car took to the newly reconfigured Atlanta Motor Speedway last March, the expectations were really high, and the NASCAR Cup Series delivered, setting new statistical records even. Uh, The race was run by Hendrick Motorsports driver William Byron, but not before seeing a track record 46 lead changes among a track record 20 different leaders. The Atlanta Motor Speedway NASCAR Cup Series race on March 20th, 2023, also produced that should be 2022. Um, also produced a series record for green flag passes for the lead on the 1.5 mile track, with 141 green flag passes for the lead. The previous record for green flag passes for the lead on the 1.5-mile track in the NASCAR Cup Series was held by Texas Motor Speedway with 57. Now, Atlanta Motor Speedway's 2022 spring race also produced a NASCAR Cup Series record for total green flag passes on the 1.5-mile tracks with 6,439 total green flag passes. The previous record for that on a 1.5-mile track in the Cup Series was held at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and that was at 4,520 total green flag passes. So a difference of 2,000 there. Okay, there's only one driver with four consecutive top ten finishes this season, and that is Alex Bowman. Consistency is paying off for Alex Bowman and Hendrick Motorsports' number 48 Chevrolet team, as they're the only team this season to score those four consecutive top ten finishes in as many races. In four starts this season, Bowman has two top fives, four top tens, and he leads the series in average finish this year at a 6.3. That's impressive. Plus, his season-to-date driver rating is 95.7. That's sixth best. His average running position is 10.6. Again, sixth best. And he spent 81.4% of his laps completed running in the top 15, which is sixth best. Bowman is now looking to keep his early success going this weekend at Atlanta, where he's made nine starts, posting two top fives, three top tens, and his average finish at the track is a 17.1. So we'll see what Alex Bowman can do this weekend. Somebody else sure, he's the last... As you say, uh, that's the last one as far as that, but there is another streak looking to stay alive, and that's Chevrolet, as they won the first four cup races now of 2023. 
In the first four races of the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series, I've only seen that one manufacturer in victory lane being Chevrolet. And this season from the Chevrolet camp, JTG Daughtery Racing's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won the Daytona 500, Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch won at Auto Club Speedway, and then Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron has won the last two races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and Phoenix Raceway. Now, in the modern era, from 1972 to 2023, the manufacturers only swept the season's first four races four times, and Chevrolet drivers are responsible for three of them. Uh, Chevy has done it in 1995, 2001, and now here in 2023, and Ford did it in 1992. When we look to Atlanta, the manufacturers only swept the first five races of the NASCAR Cup Series in the modern era, and that's twice, and that was Chevrolet um, in 1995, and then Ford in 1992. The record for the most consecutive wins by a manufacturer to start a NASCAR Cup Series season in the modern era is nine straight victories, and that was in Ford's 1992 season. Most consecutive victories to start a NASCAR Cup Series season by Chevrolet that was at seven straight wins in the 95 season, which is second most in the current modern era. Okay. Uh, Atlanta Speedway is uh, gearing up for our Cup Series, uh, NASCAR Cup Series. They go way back 63 years, to be exact. Originally called Atlanta International Raceway, the track was a 1.5-mile paved speedway, and it hosted the first Cup Series race on July 31st, 1960. The inaugural race was a 300-mile, 200-lap event that had 45 competitors and was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Fireball Roberts from the pole position in his 1960 Pontiac. Now, Cotton Owens led the most laps that day at 52, but Roberts took the lead with just 13 to go to grab that victory. From 1960 to 2010, Atlanta Motor Speedway has hosted multiple Cup Series races. During each season, starting in 2011, the series began only visiting Atlanta just once a year from 2011 to 2020. The 2021 season marked the first time since 2010 that the series visited the facility more than once a year. Also from 87 to 2000, Atlanta Motor Speedway held the final championship race on the Cup Series schedule. In total, there have been 117 Cup Series races at Atlanta Motor Speedway since that first race there in 1960. 117 of those races have produced 53 different pole winners and 47 different race winners. Seven of the 53 Cup Series uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway pole winners are active this weekend. They include uh, Kevin Harvick, who has two wins in 17 and 14, Eric Almarola, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Denny Hamlin, and Martin Truex Jr. all have one pole, and that would uh, date back to um, these are poles. Uh, dating back from 2009 all the way through to 2019. NASCAR Hall of Famer Buddy Baker uh, had a, uh, did it in 68, 71, 76, 79. It was a sweep in 1980 and 84. Uh, he also had pulled. 
Ryan Newman had a 2023 sweep, 2004 sweep, 2005 sweep, and he also won in 2007. Uh, They are tied for the Cup Series most poles at Atlanta Motor Speedway with seven each. Kevin Harvick leads active Cup Series drivers with Atlanta poles with two in 2014 and 17. Six of the 47 Cup Series uh, winners at Atlanta Motor Speedway are active this weekend. They include Kevin Harvick with three wins, 2020, 18, and 2001. Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch with two. Keselowski's came in 19 and 17. Kyle Busch's came in 2008 and 2013. William Byron, Ryan Blaney, and Denny Hamlin each have one. William Byron's the most recent in 22, followed by Ryan Blaney in 21, and Denny Hamlin in 2012. NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt leads the Cup Series in wins at Atlanta with nine victories dating from 1980 through 2000. Uh, Stuart Hawes Racing's Kevin Harvick leads all active Cup Series winners at Atlanta with those three victories uh, between 20. 2001, 18, and 20. All NASCAR Series on-track activities at the track this weekend uh, will begin Saturday, March 18th, with the Bush Light Pole Qualifying. That starts at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. <laughs> but well, we have one driver the weather. red hot right now. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't seen the weather report to see if we're going to have hot Atlanta, but you said it. Red hot William Byron is headed to Atlanta as he looks for his third straight victory in 2023. Uh, the last two Cup Series races have seen cautions in the final laps, giving Hendrick Motorsports driver William Byron the last chance opportunity, last chance opportunities he needed to snag the two victories at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and Phoenix Raceway. Now the 25-year-old Byron heads to Atlanta Speedway for the Amber Better Better Health 400 on Sunday, March 19th, looking for his third straight victory in the NASCAR Cup Series. If he accomplishes the feat this weekend, he'll become just the sixth different driver to win three or more consecutive NASCAR Cup Series races and the 25th all-time. Byron is the defending spring race winner, the newly remodeled Atlanta Motor Speedway, uh, taking the win over second place Ross Chastain by a scant uh, 0.145 seconds last season. And it's the fourth closest finish in uh, the series at Atlanta all time. The five active drivers that have won three or more consecutive Cup Series races that includes Kyle Larson, who did it twice in 2021, Kyle Busch in 2015 and 18, Brad Keselowski in 2018, uh, Joey, uh, sorry, Kevin Harvick in 2018, and then Joey Logano in 2015. Uh, in four starts this season, Byron has put up two wins, coming at Las Vegas and Phoenix Raceway. has led a total of 240 laps. His average finish this year is 15.3. His season-to-date driver rating is 107.2, which is a series best. His average running position is 7.8, which is second best. And he has spent 84.1% of his laps competed running in the top 15. 
They're looking ahead to this weekend at Atlanta. Byron has made seven starts at the 1.54 mile track, posted that one victory last year, and then one top five and two top tens. All right. Uh, that is a lot of information, and we hope it uh, gives fans kind of the heads up of what to watch for this weekend out at Atlanta Motor Speedway in NASCAR's top three series. Uh, we have to wait one more week for that Arkham Menard Series East race, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, we definitely will preview that next week uh, when we uh, come back here for our preview show next week. All right, we're coming up on the top of the hour, Jay, and you know what that means. It's almost time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Um, I know you gave us an update uh, on the uh, fantasy group uh, for a fan for racing group. Uh, you want to give us, for those that might have missed it, you want to give us a quick overview? All right, let me pull that up real quick uh, as we get ready for Hot Topics. And I know Mike's got a couple of... Uh, in the waiting as soon as he gets here. Let me find, where did I go with those? All right, for leading the series, let's see. There we go. The truck series, uh, James is on top of that with 14 points. Andy at 12, Sharon at 11. Brian, Sam, and Tommy tied at 9. Owen, 5. Myself, 3. And Mike, 2. On the Xfinity series, there we got Sharon at the top of the board at 27 points. I'm three points behind her at 24. Mike, 22. James, 18. Tommy, 15. Owen, 13. Brian, 11. Sam, 10. And Andy, 7. The truck I'm sorry. I did the truck series first. That was the first one I did. Then the Xfinity on the cup side. Brian's at 44, leading the group there. I'm in second at 38. James, 32. Owen, Sam, and Tommy all tied at 28, Andy at 22, Sharon at 19, and Mike at 17. And then the overall shows a tight group. Uh, I have a one-point lead. I got 65 points. James and Brian have 64, Sharon 57, Tommy 52, Sam 47, Owen 46, and then Mike and Andy tied at 41. So that was the overall. Okay. Well, Jay, we always appreciate uh, you handling that for us uh, and kind of keeping us all on track with making our picks. Uh, I know it's extra effort on your part, and we do appreciate your time. I have fun with it, and uh, as you get ready to introduce Mike, I enjoy it so much this year because he's at the bottom of most of them, so I enjoy that so much. Is Mike here? Oh, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, Mike is here. Uh, joining us shortly will also be Andy Lasky. So let me start with Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show. Heyo. I should have called in a few minutes later because Jay just ruined my night. Jay, I hope you get a hat now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we also have Andy Lasky here. So welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, how's it going, Sharon? It's going great. It's always good to have you guys on. With us, I always look forward to hot topics. And Mike, we're going to have you kick us off tonight. Well, I mean, there's really only one thing that uh, everyone's talking about this week, and that's the map handed out to Hendrick Sports as well as the number 31 of Colleague Racing. Remember back at Phoenix between practice qualifying on Friday, NASCAR confiscated 
hood louvers from the 400 Motorsports car plus one of the hood louvers from the number 31. All of those teams were set to 100-point owner and driver penalty plus a 10-point playoff points penalty. The respective chiefs from those teams were suspended for four races and fined $100,000. The only driver not affected by this is Chase Elliott because he is out and injured. But the number 900 Motorsports team does still get the owner's points penalty, even though Elliott won't be penalized on the driver's points out of the house. Both teams are going to appeal the penalty, and we're waiting on word on that appeal process. Yes, indeed. You're going to limit it to this one, and then we'll talk about Danny Hamlin and another one? Might as well, because they're two separate penalties or two separate incidents. Okay. Andy, your thoughts about the penalties here for Hendrick Motorsports and uh, college racing? Well, we we talked about this extensively Monday night, and we said that we would hopefully be talking about a penalty on Thursday, and here we are talking about a penalty on Thursday. I really <laughs> like what they did here because it was consistent. This is very much in line with this number six and 34 teams penalties from last year. The, the rule book was revamped in conjunction with the advent of the Gen 7 car, and I mean, this is this is very consistent from NASCAR. So I applaud NASCAR for doing what they did. Obviously, you know, on Monday I said that we needed to get more information to determine whether or not what took place was deemed illegal. Obviously, in NASCAR's eyes, after inspection at the R&D Center, whatever Hendrick Motorsports had for parts on these hood vents was illegal. So... NASCAR got it right. The penalty was issued, and the team will deal with it moving forward. Um, You know, I I think what's interesting here, and, you know, just kind of thinking about this, is that, you know, the team, specifically Hendrick, tried to blame the vendor. And it's like, well, you know what the rules are. And so if a vendor gives you a part that's not quite right, then your team needs to do a better job in, in figuring that out. So, you know, whether or not the team screws up or the vendor screws up, it's still the team's responsibility to put forth a car that has all the correct components on it. So, so I, I think NASCAR got it right. You know, we've seen, you know, we've seen every team in the garage at some point get a penalty because they made a mistake. And in this case, the team made a mistake, both them and calling racing, and they'll learn from it and move on. Will it affect them very much? Probably not. I mean, I think that the nine team will suffer because you've got a substitute driver and a substitute crew chief. I don't see that voting very well, with the exception of maybe Jordan Taylor at Circuit of the Americas. But the other teams will probably do just fine, especially uh, with Greg Ives serving as the crew chief for Alex Bowman. Those two were together for several years. And you know that the normal crew chiefs will be back working together in an office, probably calling the shots anyway. So I don't know how much of a penalty that is. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a live and learn scenario, I guess. You know, they were caught with something that wasn't right, and they served the penalty and move on. But at the end of the day, you know, NASCAR was consistent in getting the penalty right. You know, I think that this is very much in line with other penalties of this nature, and I'm not saying Hendrick did this intentionally. I, I don't think they did. But nonetheless, they were issued parts that weren't quite right. NASCAR caught that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is the team's responsibility to put forth a product that is in compliance with the NASCAR rulebook. So live and learn. 
They'll, they'll, I, I honestly think they'll be just fine. I see all four teams winning at some point this year. I think they'll all get in the playoffs. I, I think it'll be a bit of a moot point, but nonetheless, a bit of a setback here as they begin this 2023 season. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, uh, I know we're going to go around twice on this, so I'll try. The first part, I have to agree with Andy, that from NASCAR's standpoint, that they did a consistent penalty with what they've been doing and what they set forth in the rule book. Um, So you're right, applaud that. However, uh, when you look at it, it's not just that the, from what, the statement from Hendrick Motorsports and Jeff Gordon that they necessarily got a wrong part from the vendor, a single supplier part from a vendor, but that that part didn't conform to what NASCAR uh, approved as far as modifications or how that part should be. So I think there is some justification for them to appeal and bring it forward under that process. And I I know Mike and I are actually on different sides of this, whereas I'm kind of defending Hendrick. Uh, from what I know, again, that is limited. Uh, they'll keep that kind of between them and NASCAR, but it appears that uh, Hendrick Motorsports has a point that the vendor isn't providing what NASCAR set forth in the rule book. Uh, whether they brought that to NASCAR or not, don't know. Jeff Gordon just said there was some miscommunication and misunderstanding, so I don't know where that lies. If it's between them and the vendor, the vendor and NASCAR, NASCAR and the teams, don't know. Um, but I know a lot of people are saying that, hey, they didn't race the parts. They shouldn't be penalized. Uh, that's complete baloney. Uh, they brought it to the track. They had it on the car. Had NASCAR not taken them, they would have run them. We don't know if they've run them like this already throughout the season. So I, I fully back NASCAR in their stance of saying that we feel it's illegal, which coincidentally, it took them till Wednesday afternoon to come out with the penalty report, not Tuesday. So they took their time going through this. I, I will say that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the appeal process goes. I really believe Hendrick might have a chance of getting this overturned based on that miscommunication and the part not being provided in the correct uh, specifications. Okay. The miscommunication is a bit vague right now. We don't really know exactly what he's talking about with regard to miscommunication. But I, my point of view is that NASCAR has been extremely clear. You don't come to the track with modified parts or pieces from specified vendors. Uh, and, and the precedent for that is when they talked about the lug nuts that weren't going well. <laughs> they had lug nuts that weren't uh, right. And they had to put people on that through all those lug nuts to pull out the bad ones to make sure that they're using the good ones. Well, if they got a part from a vendor that was not according to specs, then it's up to that team to go back to that vendor and insist that they get something that is according to specs. Now, where I tend to disagree here a little bit is that those teams were able to get the right vendor on those cars uh, before the race when NASCAR caught the wrong vents on the car, why didn't they do that before they came to the racetrack? Um, They should have done that before they came to the racetrack. They knew when they came to that racetrack that they had a vent that was not according to specs. Uh, So it was their responsibility uh, to make sure that they had a spec part on their car coming into the track. 
they didn't do that. So that's why I think NASCAR has this uh, pretty well together. And I think there might be an outside chance based on that miscommunication piece that's kind of vague right now. But I really think NASCAR got this right, like Andy said. And uh, the, the teams all came to the track with the wrong part on the car, and that's a no-no. It's pretty cut and dry from where I stand. And uh, there's no lack of communication with what NASCAR's expectations are. And the precedent has been set with those lug nuts that if you've got faulty lug nuts, it's your job to make sure you use the right ones when you get to the track. So NASCAR put it back into the team's laps at that point, and I think they're going to do the same thing in this case. You knew you had a, a piece that wasn't up to spec, uh, and and uh, it's your job to make sure you've got a spec piece on that car when you come to the track. So I'll say more on the uh, other go-around here, uh, but, uh, Mike, I'm curious to hear your thoughts at this point. Well, you all have some real solid points here. The big thing here is that both teams, Hedrick Motorsports and Colleague Racing, both seem to be pointing fingers at the third-party parts manufacturer. Like you guys said, the teams are not producing these parts. They are required to purchase them from a third-party manufacturer who is supposed to provide them to meet a certain specification designed and set forth by NASCAR. The teams are supposed to run those parts as received. However, the precedent, like Sharon said, has been if a team receives and identifies a faulty part, NASCAR wants the team to work with the vendor in order to fix the problem. And this may, and this is speculation, but this may be where the miscommunication is. Hendrick Motorsports and Colleague Racing may very well have gone to the vendor to correct the situation. NASCAR may be thinking that they say, go talk to the vendor. They're expecting the teams to go to the vendor and receive a replacement part. However, what's to say the vendor didn't tell the teams, make X, Y, and Z changes to these parts that you have in your hands in order to correct the problem instead of sending another part? Remember, these, these parts manufacturers are in business. They're making the parts and selling them for money. So if they can get the team to hold on to the part that they've already got versus sending them a replacement, well, they get to keep the sale versus losing the, the sale and having to replace it at their cost, uh, replace a faulty part. So that may, and like I said, this is speculation, that may be the miscommunication where the teams thought they were doing it right by going to the vendor, getting instructions from the vendor, making modifications advised to be done by the vendor, and then bringing that to the racetrack, thinking that since it went through the vendor, that was complying with what NASCAR told them to do. Again, there's been no clear communication from either the teams or NASCAR about what this supposed miscommunication was, but it's a plausible reason to say that we thought we were doing it right. We went to the vendor. We did what they told us to do. We didn't do anything wrong. So, We'll see what happens with the appeal. Uh, the teams haven't really stated their case publicly, but that's one possibility for this miscommunication that they're talking about. Andy, are you buying it? Uh, no. You know, Sharon, I, I strongly agree with you in, in terms of, you know, there's there's an excuse made, and I'm going to say that it's an excuse of, oh, well, the vendor gave us a faulty part. It's their fault. Well, the fact is it's up to the team's to put forth equipment that meets specifications, right? So, you know, every team has a rule book, and presumably that rule book states what the specifications of each part should be. Whether or not the parts are made by the team or a vendor, 
nonetheless, there should be a quality control within each organization that ensures that as the cars are assembled, they meet NASCAR specifications. So if these parts did show up and they weren't quite right, then it's up to the team, in my mind, to have some form of quality control to ensure compliance. So, you know, we don't even know exactly what was wrong with these things. They're hood vents. I don't really know how you could modify a hood vent that much to make it an advantage, whether, you know, Mike alluded to this Monday that maybe it was a downforce thing. I don't know. But at the end of the day, you know, the teams are responsible in my mind, you know, in order to put a car on the racetrack, it needs to be in compliance. So at the end of the day, that's why the team's penalized. The vendor's not penalized. The team is because it's up to the team to make sure that their car meets specifications. So, um, I think that NASCAR got it right, you know, and and ultimately, you know, it's easy to point fingers and point blame, but it's but it's really the team's responsibility here to to ensure compliance, and in this case, it didn't happen. Jay, yeah, I see the arguments to both sides. My point here is, if if HMS is saying, hey, you say we have to go to this vendor, they're not providing what the specs are that you have set in the rule book, what are we supposed to do? You're dictating we go to this vendor and they're not providing it. We can't go to another vendor or make our own because you won't let us. So if that's the case, the NASCAR needs to get involved with the vendor, find a different vendor, somebody that will make it by their specification. Uh, And that's where I say it'll be interesting to see how this appeals process goes. Uh, The other point I wanted to go to, though, of uh, something Andy had said of, Right now, it doesn't seem like the points penalties scattered. The regular season, I really don't think not so much, but in this case, they also took 10 uh, playoff points, which is huge. And the regular season one's due to, a, to an effect as well. Sharon and I talked about this uh, quite a bit this morning, actually. Look at it when it comes down to the end of the season. William Byron and Alex Bowman uh, and Kyle Larson were top in points. End of the regular season, you get bonuses. If you win the regular season championship, that's 15 bonus points. These guys have essentially been taken out of that running. They also lost the 10 playoff points already. When the season start or the playoff starts, right now as it is, Byron would have had 10 playoff points. He's got zero. So that's a possibility of 15, 25, or 10 to 25 points already given up come playoff time and that's three races long that's a lot of points to make up or lose over 20 uh three races so i think uh down the line you may be able to look at it go that 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 hurt them good and proper <laughs> as we say up north i guess so that'll yet to be determined to how bad that really hurt i know it doesn't seem like it now but i think it will long run yeah, I agree with you, Jay. Uh, I think that I, I like that they not only took the regular season points, they took the playoff points as well, and I think that's that's going to hurt more long term. Uh, uh, the drivers that don't have a win yet in Hendrick Motorsports and College Racing, they need three wins to be able to start earning playoff points. <laughs> Their first two wins will not earn playoff points, uh, so th- that is big. Um, as far as uh, the possibility that Mike brought up, I, I just don't buy it. It's not up to the vendors to modify those pieces, and the team shouldn't be buying that either. <laughs> to me, that is uh, full of uh, all kinds of holes. 
the the vendor uh, does not approve the modifications that are made to those pieces. NASCAR approves those modifications, and if NASCAR has not approved it, then it's not legal. So I, I don't buy that at all. Uh, I think that NASCAR has made it real clear uh, you don't come to the track with uh, un, uh, parts and pieces that are not up to specs. Now, the proof in the pudding here is the fact that all of those cars came up with the spec piece in order to start that race. They might have had to scramble to do it, but they should have done that scrambling before they came to the track instead of trying to do it at the track. Uh, so if they were able to do it at the track, my position is they should have been able to do it before they came to the track uh, to find those spec pieces. Uh, so the, the fact that they were able to do it tells me that it was possible. Uh, so I, I don't buy that <laughs> as a possibility at all. And if they fell for that, shame on Hendrick Motorsports. I thought they were smarter than that. Um, th- they should know that the vendor does not approve any modifications to those spec parts. NASCAR makes those approvals, and there is a process for those approvals to take place. And, in fact, uh, Elton Sawyer said uh, in some of his comments uh, after all of this is that they they have been making um, modifications all along based on driver feedback and everything, and and there, there is that process in place for those modifications to take place. Maybe that's where the miscommunication is. I don't know. Maybe they thought NASCAR had approved a modification, although I think that that would be clearly written uh, if they did approve any kind of a modification. I, I just am struggling to find where Hendrick Motorsports has a leg to stand on in this one. Uh, maybe we'll be illuminated when when we find, when the vagueness of uh, the miscommunication becomes clearer. But uh, I, I really think uh, it's pretty cut and dry, and uh, I think that NASCAR did the right thing. Um, but I do like that they took points away both on the regular season side as well as the postseason side. Uh, what I don't like about this is taking all of these crew chiefs and putting them into a room at Hendrick Motorsports for four races uh, to me is is – there's, it's meaningless. <laughs> There's nothing to that. They're still communicating with the track. They're still running the show. They're just doing it off the track. Um, and, and in some respects, I wonder if at some point we might not go to uh, maybe maybe uh, having that. Uh, why are they spending the money to send these crew chiefs to the track if they can do it from their home base? So uh, I think that's a meaningless uh, part of this penalty, and I wish they wouldn't do it because – uh, these guys are still going to be in communication with their teams, whether it's from the couch or from the Hendrick Motorsports office. Uh, the communication line is still there. Mike? Well, I know I did a lot of devil's advocacy via speculation in my first reply, and that was all, like I said, speculation and theory. As far as sure. the odds, I'm with you, Sharon. I don't think that, that if it had been one or two louvers here and there, like if it was just the one from the 31 from Clyde Racing and maybe another one or two from the Hendrick Motorsports cars, I think it would be a little bit more plausible. But the fact that it was all 800 Motorsports cars plus one from another team, 
it kind of lends itself to being more than just an individual miscommunication. Now, it, the problem is NASCAR has set forth the spec, and it sounds like the teams are saying they are receiving parts from the manufacturer that do not meet the spec that NASCAR has right. set forth. You know, NASCAR says it needs to be 1 plus 2 equals 3, and they're getting 1 plus 1 equals 3. So whatever, you know, wherever the spec is, the parts that they're receiving don't meet that specification. If that's, if that's true, that is something that NASCAR needs to address. They, 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 if the vendors are providing bad parts, NASCAR needs to step in and address that directly with the vendor to make sure that the teams are receiving parts that meet the specification. If the teams can't modify them to make them work, they have to work out of the box as the rule book says they are. We'll wait and see what the appeal process says, but like I said, the odds are not in their favor. Okay. Okay. Uh, Andy, I think that brings us up to you for the next hot topic. <clears throat> All right. Um uh, I almost wish I had the third go around here, but I guess we'll leave it a rest. But, um, yeah, let's talk about <laughs> the next penalty, which involves uh, Denny Hamlin after his admission of wrecking Ross Chastain at Phoenix last weekend. Okay, Jay, you get first shot at this one. Well, I think we're all in agreement on this on Monday night that a penalty should be forthcoming. To me, the question here, is it really a penalty? Uh, yes, it was 25 regular season points. Danny obviously doesn't care about that. He gave up 10 by doing what he did, dropping 10 positions on the track in order to take out somebody behind him. And then the $50,000 fine, which we all agree at this point uh, with the level that they earn. And Danny's making more money now doing a podcast, I'm sure. It really wasn't anything. And I think it was... NASCAR kind of saying, hey, we don't want to be involved in this, but you made us by admitting it, so we have to take some sort of action. Um, I know they said they were looking at the incident even before Denny Hamlin had his podcast, but I don't think anything would have come of it. If it was, it would have been a talk to the drivers of, hey, knock it off. If not, we will step in. Denny brought it forth. They said you made him step in. Um, yeah, the penalty itself I really don't think was much of anything other than to say don't make us get involved because um, we will if we have to. So uh, moving forward, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, and I think it was a, a caller that called into Dave Moody's uh, show on Sirius XM Radio. You want to talk about it, talk about living rent-free in somebody's head. The caller said that uh, Ross Chastain, he's got a condominium, a beach, is it a uh, Margarita sitting next to him and just chilling inside Denny's head because Denny went backwards in order to get at him. So uh, I think there's a, the penalty in and of itself, and Denny Hamlin's putting it on himself. Mike? I do find it amusing that Denny Hamlin named his podcast Actions Detrimental, and we're four races into the season, and he's catching the penalty for, quote, Actions Detrimental to stock car racing. Uh, I'm kind of with Jay where this is not a really meaningful penalty. It was definitely a we're acting because we, you forced us to act kind of a deal. If they wanted to hurt him, they would have hit him with playoff points. Um, it's not impossible that Denny Hamlin goes winless in the regular season, but based on history, it's unlikely. And 25 points is not going to be a huge detriment to, to a team like the 11 team from Joe Gibbs Racing. As far as the playoff points hit, that would be a much bigger hit, but NASCAR didn't go there. For uh, Jay's point about him living rent-free, 
Remember the last time that happened with Chase Elliott living rent-free in Kevin Harvick's head? Kevin Harvick took himself out of the playoffs because he allowed his emotions to overcome him and make a move trying to wreck Chase Elliott that ended up taking him out of the race and out of the playoffs this year. I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens with Denny Hamlin. With his fixation on Ross Chastain, if he continues to make moves like this, it could end up hurting his season much worse than it hurts Ross Chastain's. Yeah, I agree with you guys. This is I love the imagery of uh, sitting on the beach with a margarita in Denny Hamlin's head is Ross Chastain. Um, I, I I do think that that's the case. I think Ross Chastain's in his head and he can't get it out. He 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 sees Ross Chastain and he sees red, and he acts on it. Um, he he his maturity, uh, even at his age, is not there. Uh, same with Kevin Harvick and in the case of Chase Elliott. Uh, that uh, emotion uh, is detrimental to their careers, in my estimation. Um, now, they're both good drivers. They both have, a, you know, do a good job of, of uh, racing when they focus on themselves and not everybody else around them. But unfortunately, they shoot themselves in the foot when they do this kind of stuff. I agree with you guys. Uh, Denny Hamlin forced their hand. I've heard a lot of fans say uh, NASCAR's, uh, you know, making it hard for drivers to speak out and, and you know, say what's on their mind and all that sort of thing. Uh, and and I think uh, uh, Pete Pistone said it best. He said, just because you have freedom of speech doesn't mean that you have freedom from consequences. So there is a consequence for what you say. And uh, that's the case with Denny Hamlin. Uh, yeah, he can. He's free to say whatever he wants to say, and if he wants to say those things, there's a consequence for doing it. And NASCAR's made that clear. Although uh, I, I think this is pretty meaningless. I don't know if you guys heard or not, but I've seen that Denny Hamlin won a two billion dollar lottery ticket, and so fifty thousand dollars is nothing for him. <laughs> Uh, as far as the penalty is concerned, and I, I know you guys agree with that. Um, uh, same thing with the 25 points. He, he lost, to, to uh, Mike, uh, Jay's point, he lost uh, 10, 12 points just by making the move that he did. Uh, before I go any further, I am going to take a minute here to uh, do our announcement to our first-time listeners. Uh, we, at this time of the show, let you know that we are going off of the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, but we are going to continue recording the rest of our conversation. So you're going to hear us continuing to talk when we go off air. Just know that uh, when we finish up here uh, at the end of the night, I'm going to go out on Twitter and Facebook and let you know that the podcast is available at that point, you can go to our player at fanforacing.com and just fast forward to that two-hour mark. Then you hear the rest of the conversation from our Fan for Racing crew here. So, again, we just alert uh, listeners so that nobody's caught off guard uh, and so that you know uh, how to hear the rest of the conversation. But, yeah, I, I do think that um, the, the penalty itself is, is just a slap on the hand. Uh, if Denny Hamlin chooses his right to freedom of speech and to say things that are detrimental to himself and his career, that's up to him. He, he's free to do that. Um, and a lot of fans want him to do that. 
but uh, Denny Hamlin's got to think big picture. He's a team owner now. You'd think he'd know better. Uh, he's got to look at this big picture, and uh, he's got to get Ross Chastain out of his head. Uh, he's got to focus on his own racing career if he wants to to uh, win a championship, and he's got to focus on what he's doing and not what everybody else is doing on the track. Um, time's going to tell the rest of this story, um, but I don't think it's going to end here. I think uh, there's more to come and more chapters to uh, the Denny Hamlin, Ross Chastain uh, novel that we're watching unfold. Andy, your thoughts? <laughs> well, like what's already been said here, I, I feel like NASCAR was forced to do something, albeit a slap on the wrist. But, I mean, if you're going to be foolish enough to admit something like you would intentionally wreck the driver so that everyone can hear it, then NASCAR's hands were really tied in this case. Because I think that if they'd have done nothing, there would have been a a pretty big outcry about that, you know. But, again, you know, I've seen – What's interesting is I've actually seen some people defending Denny for for speaking his mind on his podcast this week, and I, I would agree, actually, with some of that. You know, it's important that we see drivers be, you know, transparent and, and showing some personality. And, you know, we're in a day and age where content means everything on social media. So I agree. It's good to see that, but at the same time, you know, it might not necessarily yeah, excuse me. It might not necessarily be the smartest thing to openly admit that you wrecked somebody. I mean, that's that's kind of obvious that you're going to get penalized for that. So that probably wasn't the smartest thing Denny's done. He's not really necessarily known for being that bright when it comes to stuff like that. But you know, you know, they had to do something. It's a slap on the wrist. The penalties are relevant, really. It's not going to affect him. But you know, I. I don't know. It's just it's silly that he even admitted it in the first place, but he did and you know, I don't know if he'll learn from it because he makes these mistakes all the time and has done so for years, but nonetheless uh gave us something to talk about tonight and uh it'll be kind of a moot point I guess as we go into this race weekend. Okay, Jay. Is this the second round on that one? I, I don't have. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say. Um, I, you, you rob a you rob a bank. You can't go out and tell everybody the next day you did it and not expect consequences. Like you said, the freedom of speech is there. You're free to say it, but there's still going to be penalties with it. And you know, NASCAR has said that wrecking somebody intentionally is against their rules. So again. Uh, I actually think that it could have been a harsher penalty. I, I mean, truthfully, um, based on what we saw from Bubba Wallace uh, last year. Um, but again, he had already taken himself out of 10, 15 points. They added another 25. That equates to basically the race. So that might be how they looked at it. The total points was a waste of his day there, which, uh, in my opinion, team owner Joe Gibbs, crew chief, uh, is the other one. Be like, that's who should be going to him and saying, hey, Shut up, you know, stop this. It's it's not accomplishing our goals. Okay, Mike. Well, like I said, he tied their hands by saying he did it intentionally. This 
think back to when Bubba Wallace admitted that he intentionally spun out and NASCAR had their hands tied. They had to issue a penalty to him. And then a couple weeks later, Kyle Busch does the exact same thing in a truck series race, and they go and interview Kyle Busch, and, you know, his words are no comment and very evasive, but you can tell by the look on his face. He knew that they knew that everyone knew that he intentionally spun out. And if Denny Hamlin had just gone on the podcast and said, oh, no, I, I, I was plowing tight, and I couldn't control the car. I took it too deep into the turn, and Ross just happened to be there. I don't think there would be a penalty here. So I really hope that the Internet and social media clout was worth the 25 points and $50,000 that we all agree is really not worth a whole lot. But it's just a matter of wording things a little bit differently, and I think he avoided the penalty entirely. Now, if he continues down this road and there's another incident with him and Ross Chastain, I would hope that there's an escalation in the penalty enforcement here. This is kind of strike one for the 2023 season for them. If Denny does something else, I would hope that NASCAR would escalate the penalty and say, you get the message the first time, here's a little bit better message. Hopefully it's a little clearer this time. So we'll wait and see. I, like we say, he's even run free in Denny's head right now. I don't think this is going to be the last incident, so it's going to be interesting to see the next time this happens. Yeah, uh, talking about that. Uh, you know, Denny does have that podcast now, and uh, I'm sure uh, one of the things that Kevin Harvick always does is he's a promoter at heart, and we've talked about this before, too. Kevin Harvick does things sometimes to get people's attention uh, because he's promoting uh, the sport or promoting the driver or promoting something, and uh he usually gets a reaction from it, and it produces a lot of people talking and a lot of buzz, and and I'm sure Denny's going to see an uptick in his numbers for his podcast this week. <laughs> so keep that in mind as well. Um, I, I, I do think that Denny Hamlin sometimes is looking for attention for whatever reason. He's not at the top of the point standings. Ross Chastain was at the top of the point standings. Uh, that makes him see red, and so he's going to do something that's going to get people talking and uh, put some attention on himself. Um, and so, to me, that's what this is all about. Is it worth the 25 points and the $50,000? Maybe it is to, to Denny Hamlin. Who knows? But, um, uh, I, again, I do agree, freedom of speech not freedom from consequences. There are consequences for what you say and for what you do. And I agree with you, Mike. There should be an escalation. The only thing that I think is missing from this, and I know it's just a slap on the hand at this point, uh, I think he should have been put on probation because the fact that there is a history here between those two drivers, I think uh, maybe NASCAR missed the point on that regard. I think they should have put uh, – because Ross Chastain did nothing to precipitate that uh, movement by Jenny Hamlin. Uh, I think they should have put him on probation, whether it be, you know, the next six races, the next three months, whatever. Uh, they should have put him on some kind of probation. Uh, and I would have been okay if they'd said for the, next, for the rest of this season. Um, just so we wouldn't have to hear it anymore. But uh, that's the only thing I would think is missing from the uh, penalty that NASCAR put out there. Andy? Yeah, not really much to add here, um, you know, as far as this one goes. You know, I, I think that obviously NASCAR just did what they had to do in light of, you know, the information that was 
given to them, which was admission by Denny. So it is what it is. Um, I will add that allegedly the two talk after the race and supposedly came to a truce. I guess we'll see if that holds true or not. My my gut tells me no, but um, Denny usually finds a way to get involved with somebody throughout the year, so we'll see what happens with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty cut and dry. I think that NASCAR was put in the position of doing what they needed to do. So um, I guess we'll uh, see if uh, there's any more incidents or not as the year unfolds. Yep. The novel continues. Okay, Jay, you're up next for our next hot topic. Well, we got a little bit of controversy from the broadcast booth. Uh, Mike Joy <laughs> comes under fire for comments about a commercials coming up, the last full commercial break versus a split screen, as well as calling out keyboard warriors. Okay. Uh, Mike, you get your first step here. <laughs> well, I mean, Jay already knows my position on this one because we went back and forth on this a couple of days ago when he first posted the topic. But uh, it's a, a lot of ways. This is Mike, Mike Joy throwing stones in a glass house. There have been a lot of, in my opinion, pretty legitimate criticisms of the Fox Sports broadcast product over the past couple of years. And Mike Joy posted on Twitter the week prior um, he thought he was going to burn somebody by uh, by pointing out, hey, if you're going to complain, officer constructed criticism. 400 replies worth of constructive criticism later, and now we're getting comments during the broadcast taking a shot at the fans who are offering constructive criticism to the Fox broadcast product. Look, Mike Joy is a legend in racing, and when he's good, he's great. But over the past couple of years, he's really slipped down into the hey, remember when rabbit hole, making pop culture references to things 50 years old and, and things like that, and trying to fill the void with whatever it is he comes up with. That's not the biggest problem. Clint Boyer, there's been a lot of controversy with him as far as taking away from it being a serious elite broadcast and trying to turn it into a, a, I don't know, a clown show or whatever words you want to use there. My real gripe, though, is with the production and direction team at Fox Sports. The, the camera work at Fox has been notoriously bad over the past few years. It seems like every race, often multiple times per race, the booth will see something out the window and they'll start talking about it. And It'll take forever, if it ever happens at all, to even get a camera on it to show what happens or even a replay of what they were just talking about. So there's been plenty of instances where they're talking about racing somewhere other than what's on the screen, while what we're being shown as viewers on TV is a tight shot of the leader who was out by himself by five seconds. And that's a big criticism of Fox Sports, and it kind of comes down to the – perceived quality of the race versus the actual quality. There's a lot of uh, conflicting feedback where fans who watch the race on TV say, oh, man, this race was really lousy. And then you talk to somebody who was there, it's like, what are you talking about? This was a great race. There was racing all over the racetrack. But we as fans watching on TV didn't see it. And that's a problem with the direction of who is telling the cameras to point and look at whatever it is that they're looking at. It's an issue that Kevin Harvick brought up last year during an Xfinity Series broadcast where they were talking about something. It became obvious that the camera was not getting there, and Harvick chastised them. He thought, I don't think he knew his mic was hot at that point. He chastised them, and it went out over the air of, hey, man, 
you guys have got to get this on TV. You're ruining the show here. And I'm paraphrasing. That's basically what Harvick said. So I've got some hope that next year when Kevin Harvick's in the booth, he can kind of lay the whip on these guys and hopefully improve the Fox Sports product because there's definitely improvements that need to happen. Andy, your thoughts? I'm going to echo a lot of what Mike said there. I mean, he and I oftentimes watch these races together, and we've had some of the same gripes, and so I'm not going to reiterate exactly what he said, but we we tend to agree that there's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, with the Fox broadcast. But I'll speak specifically to the topic here with Mike Joy. I was actually surprised by that that comment that he made, and it was, uh, I think that was at Vegas he did that last week. I, I found it to be highly unprofessional, especially coming coming from somebody like Mike Joy, who's been in the sport for as long as he has, who's as good as he is. I've had nothing but the utmost respect for Mike Joy. I think he's one of the best pay, uh, play-by-play announcers that we've seen, um, you know, to cover NASCAR racing. And I've always really enjoyed him in that role. And, you know, I feel like there's not very many that have done the job better than him. So I'm not going to completely, you know, say negative things about him. I like the guy a lot. I think he's done a great job, and I like him, you know, at Fox. I think he's the one of the few that holds that broadcast together. Um, but that comment that he made, in my mind, was extremely unprofessional, um, you know, to to really even give, you know, the keyboard warriors the time of day. I mean, those are people that are really nobodies that really don't deserve anyone's attention you know, anyone can Monday morning quarterback a broadcast like Mike and Mike do. <laughs> but you know, I mean, we can all we can all you know say what we think could, would, or should happen. But at the end of the day, Mike Joy's the professional. You know, so in, in my mind, you know, he shouldn't even give those people the time of day. So for him to make that comment on a live broadcast, you know, on live TV, I thought was actually pretty unprofessional. So um, I don't know. I mean. I, I I think ultimately, you know, the focus maybe should be less on things like that and maybe more on, you know, trying to improve the race broadcast. But I, I was surprised. That's not something you'd expect out of Mike. I think Mike, you know, has been around such a long time and has done such a great job over the years that you don't you don't anticipate that he would he would say something like that. So I was a bit surprised by it for sure. But um, I can understand his frustration too. I mean, especially. You know, if you get a bunch of people criticizing you that really don't know anything about his job, then I can get that. But it was it was surprising, I guess, from coming from someone who is as professional as he is. Um, I, I think there's other broadcasters that I would be more inclined to expect that from, but but certainly not my choice. So it was it was certainly eye eye raising for sure. Yeah, I agree with you, Andy. Yeah, you, you don't expect that from Mike Joy. He is a professional and has been a consummate professional over the years. He's kind of held that booth together with some of the craziness that goes on in that booth. Um, <clears throat> but he's somehow let the social media uh, warriors get to him. And so he made those responses. And now it's just like we said, you know, freedom of speech, but uh, there's a, it's not freedom from consequences. The same thing applies here. There are consequences uh, when you say some of these things that is going to come back and, and hit you. And that's what's happening to Mike Joy now. Um, 
If you want to know how bad the broadcast is, listen to the radio. Turn turn the volume down on the TV and turn the volume up on the radio and listen. You hear about things so much faster on the radio than what you hear about it, and sometimes you never hear about it on the TV. I've done that, and the radio coverage is so it is so superior to what you're getting on the TV. Uh, it, it really does tell you just how bad that broadcast is. Um, these guys tend to get caught up in, in trying to be entertaining uh, instead of covering the race. And when I tune into a race, I want to know what's happening in the race. I'm not looking for the entertainment in the booth. So that's what I think is not the is not seen by whoever is producing the show or putting all of that together uh they're they're not focusing on the race <laughs> they're not focusing on giving fans what they're looking for which is what's happening in the race so <clears throat> again uh it, it is bad I've never been a fan of the Fox part of the broadcasting of races, and uh, I tend to not pay a whole lot of attention to it. I'd rather look at my computer screen and see what's happening on my computer screen uh, or listening to the race on the radio versus watching what is being said on TV because sometimes what's said on TV has nothing whatsoever to do with what's going on on the track. So, and, and to Jay's point, was it Jay that said that or Mike? I think it was Mike uh, that said uh, a lot of times fans will say it was a horrible race when they watched it on TV, but fans at the track are like, what do you mean? It was a great race uh, if you watched it from the track. And I think that, that that probably is true in a lot of these cases. I think that they're getting a poor broadcast of the race, and that's why they think it's such a bad race. It's not because the race is bad. It's because you're not getting the information about what happened in the race. And, uh, again, I challenge everybody, just do this once. Turn down the volume on the TV and turn up the volume on the radio, and you'll find out how bad the broadcast is. Jay? Well, I was trying to find a bigger bridle for my mouth here. Um <laughs> As I put into into the group chat there with Mike, first off, just one time be involved with a broadcast. And I have limited knowledge of that, having gone to the uh, broadcasting school there in Atlanta. There's a lot that goes into it. I'm not saying there is not room for improvement. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's perfect. However, there's a lot more that goes into it. When you talk about TV versus radio, and I understand what you're saying, Sharon, and I, I think I, I don't know if I've told it on here before, but I've gone to a race. I watched the race, enjoyed it, saw what I saw. On the way home, get to listen to a replay on Sirius XM radio. Same race, same outcome, but it was different. Get home, watch it on TV because I recorded it because I'm that kind of race fan. It's a third different race with the exact same outcome. So there's always that perspective. And as Mike pointed out then, if you don't like what you're seeing on TV, go to the racetrack. Spend your money and go to the racetrack. I understand you can't go everywhere and be everywhere, but you know that's your alternative. Uh, you don't want somebody else forcing you to watch what they're showing. Go watch it yourself uh, would be my stance to that. Now, that being said, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not saying the broadcast is perfect and improvements can't be made, but I feel like a lot of people watch 
these broadcasts on TV just to find something to complain about with the broadcast. They're not even attempting to watch or try and understand what's going on in the race because they just want to find something to complain about. That's my viewpoint on the keyboard warriors. And probably considered unprofessional by Mike Joy, but there comes a point where you've just had enough. And I think he hit that point. It just, it became so much, uh, you know, maybe it was a little unprofessional, but I don't think it was uncalled for either. <laughs> okay. Mike. So there's a couple things to unpack here. First off, I buy the statement of, well, if you can't do it better, you can't complain about it. That's not how it works. When, when you're talking about a professional doing a job that they've been trained for years and years and have years and years of experience doing, there's a certain level of performance that's expected of that professional, and when they don't meet that level of performance, it's fair for people to criticize them, even though they may not be able to do it better. I fly airplanes for a living. If I bend the airplane, there's going to be a whole lot of people who can't fly the airplanes better than I can who are going to tell me how bad I suck at flying airplanes. That's just how it goes. And the same thing goes for broadcasting as well. We're talking about professionals broadcasting what should be an elite level of professional motorsports, and there's a lot of criticism in there. And this is my other point on this is there is a big difference between constructive criticism and just complaining for the sake of complaining and trying to dismiss all criticism is, well, these people are never going to be happy. We shouldn't do anything to improve the product because nobody's going to be happy about it anyway. I don't think that's a, a fair approach either. Yes, there are people who will never be happy with what you're doing. However, there are a lot of very legitimate, very continuous, constructive criticism-type elements that have been offered and improvements that have been suggested that to this point have not been acted on, and it seems like the, the, whoever's in control of the situation, Mike Joy or otherwise, they want to make a conscious effort to lump all of them into these people complaining for the sake of complaining bucket and dismiss them all outright, which is not correct, and it's not the way to improve the product and make it better for us as race fans and hopefully improve the product to the point where it's attractive to people who don't currently watch racing. They're going to, if they have a good racing product on TV, that encourages more people to watch the show, get involved, and help support and grow the sport. Andy? Yeah, I mean, Sharon really brought up, you know, some really good points there with the broadcast. And, I, you know, I hate the fact that Mike and I complain about it so much in the group chat every week. But, you know, I mean, as race fans, you know, I think we have the right to have a certain expectation of, of the broadcast. And certainly Fox has been lacking. It's, it's just the way it is. And, you know, I know we complain a lot, you know, but I – I think we're quick to praise people at times too when when they get it right. So, um, but yeah, certainly as it pertains to to Mike Joy's comments, you know, I just I was surprised by it overall, and I feel like, you know, I I think that, you know, ultimately he was just frustrated with what took place the previous week, but. Um, oftentimes, and, and Mike will tell you the same thing when, cause when we're talking together, but I, I don't even listen to those commentators very often. I have earbuds in listening to the scanner most of the time, so I don't even know what they're saying. But unfortunately, when there's breaks in the, in the radio, I do hear what's being said on the broadcast. And I, I'm not sure what's going on, but there's been just a degradation, I think, in the quality of that broadcast. And I... I 
to to kind of go off on a really quick tangent, I just think Kevin Harvick coming in next year is going to be a huge addition to that booth, and I think will make a big difference as far as the quality of that that broadcast overall. So we can hope for the best, and I think ultimately there is improvement on the horizon. We just have to wait until next year. Boy, I hope you're right, uh, Andy, on that. I know one of the best broadcasts I saw on Fox is when Dale Jr. came into the booth. And one of the things that Dale Jr. did is he kept everybody focused on what was going on in the race. And we got the best broadcast when he was in that booth. Um, And that's what a professional does. Uh, And I I, I agree with Andy in that we, we have a right to expect professionalism in that booth. And we're not getting it. We're just flat out not getting it. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of similarities with what Mike Joy did and what Denny Hamlin did. Denny Hamlin's fed up. He's had enough. Uh, he doesn't. He gets upset when he sees Ross Chastain, and he made a move that was unacceptable. Well, this move by Mike Joy is not an acceptable move by him. Uh, it's not a professional way of doing business. And, yeah, maybe as a human being, we all have our moments and and those things happen, Uh, and hopefully they're at a minimum. Uh, But we have a right as race fans to expect professionalism in that booth, (laughs) and I stand by that. Um, I just don't think that they put forth a professional effort in that booth. There's something wrong in that booth. I don't know if it's the producers, like Mike said, or if it's the drivers kind of going every which way and getting into funny things instead of what's happening on the racetrack. Uh, I I think there's definitely room for improvement, like Jay said. Uh, There's a lot of room for improvement in the Fox broadcast. Um, I know they don't want to hear it. I know it's got to be frustrating to hear it. Um, but there might be some value for them taking a moment to take that step backward and just listen to and look for where there is constructive feedback for what they could be doing differently to make that broadcast better. Uh, And I think they should bring in Dale Earnhardt Jr. to tell them how to keep themselves focused on that race because he did an outstanding job when he was in that Fox Bad broadcast booth. I I hope you're right about Kevin Harvick. Um, I know we were all surprised when they were bringing Dale Jr. from NBC uh, to the Fox broadcast, but I think it was one of the best things that ever happened in that Fox booth. <laughs> Jay? Well, I got a couple of things. Of that. There's a reason they do the things they do. And I go back to, and I think this was in the 90s, we had, and I'm trying to think of the cartoon character's name, the gopher with the gopher cam, if one of y'all can remember that. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. And that was in Daryl Walton. Okay. Now, I was not a fan of that. I thought that was ridiculous. It wasn't my thing. But I'm already a race fan, okay? That, at that time, I think they were targeting the younger generation, trying to get them involved in racing. Clint Boyer coming into the booth. uh, It was Digger. 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 Yep, there you go, Digger. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was kind of cute once in a while, but I felt like they overplayed it, but that was their target. I believe it was the fans that asked for some more entertainment in the booth, which is where Clint Boyer came in. 
Does he go over the line occasionally? Yeah, I would have to agree. But I want to praise him and point this out. At the Phoenix race, the one time we had the green flag pass for the lead, they were doing their Fox crank it up. And Clint Boyer's the one that jumped in and said, hey, I'm going to override this because we got a pass for the lead. So that's where I think Good it kind of over, gets overlooked. You, you know, you say you, you want to praise. Clint Boyer did his job there. He said, hey, pull that down. we got to go back to the racing action um, to cover this. And the commercial breaks. I understand that they can't time it perfectly. It's not like another sport where you get a timeout where the action stops and you can go to commercial. The, you know, go to commercial and, a, and an accident happens. That's not their fault. They can't control that. So I think that more people need to understand how a production works. Now, as I said, there certainly are some areas for improvement. Whether they happen or not, I don't know. I'm not the one paying the bills either. So that's kind of the way it goes. Like I said, of whoever paid the bills for Digger, I wish they wouldn't have done that, but that wasn't it wasn't me they were targeting, put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a happy medium there, Jay, uh, between entertainment in the booth and covering the race, and they're they're definitely skewed on that. Now they might have their moments. I agree with you there, but I do think that uh, they need to look for that happy medium. And I applaud Clint Boyer for doing that because uh, that's what they're there for. They're there to cover that race. The radio handles those commercial breaks. TV can do that, too. Okay. Um, let's see. We're up to, I guess, Mike. Do we have time for No, we don't really have time for another one. Yeah, I was going to say, we're up to the top yeah. of the hour as well. <laughs> yeah, we are. So let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you for that. I offer all of my constructive criticism on Twitter under Mike underscore Zell, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Unfortunately, I've got to pay the bills this weekend, so I'm going to miss the first autocross race of the year. But they are doing autocross racing at Columbus Air Force Base with the uh, Mississippi Region Sports Car Club of America. First of four that we're going to do this year. I'm hoping to make some ones later in the year. Okay, sounds good. Andy? Is Andy still here? Oh, sorry, the mute button got me. Uh, yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, as always, good to be back tonight, and uh, I will be around for all of the Atlanta action this weekend. Looking forward to it because of its super speedway nature. Hopefully, uh be able to talk with you guys about that one. should be fun, and uh, hopefully, actually, I will be back Monday because I'm off Monday, so looking forward to that as well. Super duper. Okay, Jay? You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And hopefully with the weather, I'll be busy, like Mike said, I've got things going on. Uh, I'm not even going to be able to swing by the base there for that because I'll be headed down to your capital city raceway, Jackson Motor Speedway, for their season opener. Uh, Bringing a blanket with me to the booth probably. Uh, It's supposed to be a little chilly, but we're going to do it anyway. Your Capital City Raceway, Jackson Motor Speedway. There you go. All right. I am Pamper Racing site on Twitter, Pamper Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our uh, website, PamperRacing.com, where we have our Pamper Racing radio (laughs) player. 
Oh, uh, definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing. I love it when we have all three series racing. Um, I kind of took a miscue this morning, and I was thinking that we were ready for that ARCA race this weekend. Uh, we will preview that next Thursday night uh, instead of tonight, and uh, we'll definitely look forward to the ARCA East being back in action. Um, <clears throat> we did have the media interview with Chase Briscoe earlier in the show. I don't know if you had a chance to hear that, Andy, but uh, uh, definitely worth a listen. It's uh, during the second half hour, and uh, we play about eight minutes, uh, just a clip of that media interview. Uh, but Chase does talk about his season and uh, uh, a little bit about the upcoming races. He also talked about the restart zone and how that impacts his part of the field. Uh, so uh, definitely worth a listen and uh, encourage everybody to go back and take a listen to it. Uh, we'll be back on Monday night. Uh, I believe we're going to have Tanner, Tanner, Tyler Rife on the show. He was the winner at Phoenix in the Arkham Menard Series West and Arkham Menard Series combination event at that track. And uh, we'll talk to him about his victory out there and uh, the prospects for the rest of his season as well. So uh, with that, I guess we're ready to call it a night here. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to everybody uh, on the other side of the races. And uh, a big thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to hear what we have to say. We enjoy doing it. We hope you enjoy listening. That's have a good night. Good night, everyone. Enjoy the races. Enjoy. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.